Hello everybody and welcome to WPS 267. My name's Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. How are you, Graham Merrill Merrigan? Excellent, buzzing, excited. It's the Wednesday before your wedding and I cannot wait for the weekend. Uh, it I'm is. Honored. I'm honoured and proud to be a groomsman. I'm honoured and proud to have you as one, um, so long as you behave yourself. Absolutely. I don't, I don't want any repeat antics of the 2015 wedding we attended. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let's we'll say, we'll say, we'll say no more. We'll say no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, WTS pod, lads, and uh, we're available everywhere and hit subscribe and all that kind of thing. And our guest this week is a very, 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 very familiar friend of ours who is making his umpteenth appearance on the podcast. Our man in Stockholm, the wonderful Philip O'Connor. Gentlemen, it's it's been a minute, as Daddy said recently. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I was actually wondering when the call was going to come, and then all, all of a sudden it popped up. It's like, who's this Graham Merrigan inviting me on Zoom? He doesn't even text me anymore, Dad. He just sends you the Zoom. Oh, in Here, arsehole, get in the fucking podcast, you know? <laughs> oh, but there's a real Joe Rogan vibe off that young fella at the moment. He's got his Paul Howard whinging that he hasn't been on in ages. Look, at, I am delighted to be here. Delighted to be here to share these last few days with Dan before he goes out there and makes a, an honest one with Roxana. I'm delighted for them both. I'm delighted that he's giving me... I personally wouldn't have had you within a mile of my nuptials, but there you go. But um, <laughs> no, do you know what? It's great. It's a celebration of love. It's a celebration of love between you two, between them two, the love of Huskies, the love of life in general. So, in general. so it's a great time to be on the show, lads. I mean, have people... you any mar- marital advice for him, Phil? Um, just do the exact opposite of fucking everything I've done, right? I don't know how this woman downstairs hasn't fired me into the fucking sun, lads. But she hasn't. She's still here. And actually, Dan, in a couple of weeks' time, I'll be married 20 years, right? Congratulations, I, Philip. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Congratulations. I, I don't deserve congratulations. I, what I deserve is how did you get away with that? Right? <laughs> I got married on the day that Ronaldinho lobbed David Seaman and it was the happiest day Unreal. of my life. Unreal. For so many reasons. <laughs> for so many reasons. And I mean, the day I got married, the bar like in the hotel was just full of paddies watching that and the Swedes just could not understand. It's like, why are all these people going mad? These are English speakers going, no, no, 800 years, lads. And the next thing... <laughs> The ball flies over Seaman's head and they're going demented. But what could have happened there, that was the World Cup in Japan and South Korea back when Ireland used to be able to play football. We recently remembered after a period of amnesia, you know. But um, Ireland could have ended up playing on that day, lads. And I just don't know what I would have done. I think I probably just would have, you know, had to cancel because it was bad enough as it was. It was Midsummer's Eve here in Sweden, the longest night of the year. We had a fantastic time. And Dan, if you're even like 1% as happy as I have been uh, with, with the wonderful woman I've married, you'll have the greatest life, a greater life than you could ever have imagined. So the best oh, of luck oh, to you oh. both in the future. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. And uh, yeah, look, we're looking forward to it. It's, uh, it'll be a bit of crack. Um, thankfully, you know what, Dan, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Mm. As I, I just come on the show to fucking interrupt the pair you, right? You're That's why we ask you on, Phil, because you just talk for us. So we don't You're, you're not sorry, you're not sorry <laughs> and you'll do it again. It's the easiest podcast of the year. But one of the things I would say, Dan, is like, you know, and you'd be told this, and this is like, you know, before you get a dog or before you have kids, people try to explain to you what it's like, and you don't realize it until you're in the middle of it, right? But from the moment you get up in the morning, enjoy the day, right? Because it is about the two of you, right? Every, let Graham worry about everything else. Let, you know, your best men, your groomsmen, your friends, let those fuckers worry about everything else let this be about you let this be a celebration of the two of you right i the, when my wife walked into the church we did it a little bit differently to the way the swedish people would normally do it usually the two people would come into the church themselves but her father came up the aisle there was a little bit of a meeting across you know the catholic Protestant thing it was like a really bad episode of dirty girls and it just worked out you know <laughs> 
Uh, but, you know, so her father walked her up the aisle and that kind of thing. And I was standing there fucking petrified that something was going to go wrong, right? Mostly because on one side of the church was full of Irish people. And that's like putting cats in a bag. You just don't know what you're going to get over. Like, you know, but everybody did manage to behave themselves. But when I watched the video back then, I'd entrusted uh, a couple of people to make the video of it. And they sort of zoomed in on the, the minister. We got married by a Protestant minister, so I'm actually not really married at all. And they zoomed in <laughs> on the minister's case, which had this like, I love judo sticker on it. Amazing. And that's, part of, that's part of my wedding video. So, well, look, if that's the only thing that goes wrong, but take the time throughout the day when you're cutting the cake, when you're at the ceremony, you know, be with one another because like these memories of last year, as I say, I could talk about this for the next fucking 20 years, you know, but have that. I really hope that you walk away with that and that you get to share it with your family and friends there, you know. Thank this you, is, man. Mrs. Yeah. O'Connor is a saint, isn't she? She is, and she's probably, you know, she'll fucking hate me talking about her. She's one of the most private people you'll ever meet, like, you know. <laughs> you won't find photographs of her online or anything else like that. She doesn't, you know, social media, she she lurks and she stalks. She never engages and that kind of thing, you know. Uh, doesn't like me talking about her publicly at all, but, I mean, every now and again, you know, every Christmas, you know, it's our birthday and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, you have to give her the credit because she is. She's a fantastic person. She's a fantastic woman. She's been a brilliant fucking person for me. Jeez, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have her, and she's the mother to two fantastic children as well. So, it's all ahead of you, Dan. You know that's a, that's that's one of many um, Phil O'Connor monologues that will feature over the course of the next. Absolutely is, and he, but 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 you know a monologue that's that's got a lot of truth in it. More often than not, it is the matriarch of the family that is the glue that binds us all together. You know, so, absolutely. Uh, Phil, in that monologue, you mentioned about uh, Ireland, the football team, and the memories of twenty years ago. Now, I don't want to talk about the memories twenty years ago, but um, I have noted when Ireland have played under Stephen Kenny, you are a fan. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of ideas, Graham. Right? I'm a fan of people who do things for a reason, right? And this every conversation we've ever, ever had on this podcast comes back to these things. It's not what you're doing. It's why you're doing it, right? And this is the thing that doesn't impressed me with Stephen Kenny, where he has come from, this whole thing of, you know, like, you know, why does he take the job? Or, you know, why did Trapattoni take the job? There's any amount of jobs out there. Yeah, but pff, several million of Dennis O'Brien's money is probably part of it, right? But he's doing it for a reason, and he's doing it, I feel, for the right reasons. And I think about it sort of culturally and historically, if you talk to Eamon Dunphy about, you know, you know, basically street urchins playing ball in Drumcondra, which is himself and John Giles, Liam Brady, lads growing up that way, you know, and even lads down in Cork and in Mayfield and, and in Galway in Sligo and look Sligo's a great football town I'm sure you've been to an away game there yourself it's a fantastic yeah. venue to see it but we're going back to that. We're moving away from this idea of the elitism. We're moving back to the idea that, yes, if you're good enough, you can play for Ireland. It doesn't matter where you play there. And also the idea that football, you know, as Danny Blanchflower says, it's not about going out and boring the other team to death. It's about panache, it's about winning things in style, you know? And again, Bill Shankly saying that, you know, it's much, you know, winning is important in that country. But I think he said oh, so it wasn't life or death. It was much more important than that. And to me, it's very important not to win or lose. I don't care if Ireland ever win another game, but I want to see people go out there and try to make us proud by expressing themselves, not by boring the shite out of us and hoofing the ball out into the car park every opportunity we get, you know. It's been unfortunate to see Ireland at Euro 2012 who were the first team mathematically knocked out of the group stage. The second team was Sweden because they were so totally fucking inept. And that was me gone after about six days the fucking tournament. I had no interest in it after that because the two teams, one of which I was there to see, I was with the Swedes the whole time. 
but to see that and this is an Ireland I can get behind Stephen Kenny is behind a progressive and intelligent a multicultural Ireland it's a meritocracy if you're good enough you'll play if you're not you won't it's a, a place where people are free to speak their mind and to take the consequences of speaking speak their mind as well so it's 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 become a team for adults in the room and for people who want to do things or want to achieve things together and that's why I'm such a huge fan of Stephen Kenny now if you pick Zach Elbazadi as well then that's it like you know I'll do anything the man asks me I'll fill the water bottles I'll pump the balls that kind of thing so that's the only thing that's missing from his reign so far but the, the, the players that he, he seems to be given a chance as well um, not that previous players didn't didn't feel like the younger players, the lads in their early twenties, the the Gavin Bazunus mm. of of the squad, like little things, like singing the national anthem in the lineup. You know, you don't really, you haven't really seen that over the years with the senior squad, um. But you you're you're tending to see it more under Stephen Kenny. So I'm I'm wondering if the players are more passionate, or is it the younger generation that are more passionate or proud or. You know, it, it's not like the 90s as such where a lot of the starting 11 were Premier League players. They're now Championship players, League One players in England, even League of Ireland players, Jack Bourne, Graham Bourke, mm. Aaron McAniff, they've all been called up. Um, Danny Mandroyu, they've all been called up over the last four or five years. Did, so. did, Dan, did he only mention Rovers players there or was that just me? Uh, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah he did. Oh, it's <laughs> only Rovers players that get called up, although James Talbot got called up in fairness. There you yeah. go. Yeah. No, I think, but, you know, do you know and what I mean? Man, Mandrew was made in bows, let's not forget. So. That's very true, yes. They're like hardened in the, in the in the fire that is Bohemians football club <laughs> on the north side, right? But I think there's, there's, I, I'd always be very wary, Graham, of saying that, you know, players from the past weren't passionate about it, you know, because yeah, no, and, I, and I, I didn't, I didn't mean that like that. I just didn't articulate it properly. Yeah, no, but but I think that you know they were passionate about it. But you have to look at the culture you create, right? As Danny will be well aware, a big NBA head that he is, right? My, the Boston Celtics just beat the Miami Heat to get into the NBA Finals for the first time since 2010, right? Which is a fantastic achievement. But the Miami Heat are a team that pride themselves on their culture, right? And you you have a culture. Every team has a culture. Just most of them, their culture is shit, right? It's terrible. It's a negative thing. It's, you know, cover me own back. Don't take responsibility. Do the bare minimum. Don't be the fellow who winds up on the back page for the wrong reason. And that's what we've had. Trapatoni's football was a risk-limiting football. Martin O'Neill's football was a risk-limiting football. And both managers at various points point the finger and say, well, what else are you going to do with these players, right? And that it creates a culture whereby fellas maybe don't look as interested. They don't look like they're willing to take the risks, right? With the, the you know, the obvious exception of James McLean, who just goes there, balls out in every game he ever played for Ireland. There's fellas there that, you know, back in the 90s, the Irish national team, uh, the Republic of Ireland soccer team was a shop window for fellas looking to go to Aston Villa, Manchester United, Liverpool, you know. Uh, now it's no longer that. And it's actually, you know, your stock could go down playing for Ireland under Trapatoni more so than there was a risk that it went up, you know, as we've seen with players like Glenn Whelan, who had great careers, but, you know, gradually they sort of fell out of the picture. And parts of that was... Paul Green, do you remember him? Yeah. So, you know, th- these are the obvious ones, but I think Kenny is the opposite. I think he sees it as a shop window for showing off everything that's great about Irish football. And the same thing has to be said for the women's team they have been outstanding now I have a lot of problems tactically and, and in terms of the group that Vera Powell and the way she runs things there I don't think she's on the same level as Stephen Kenny just yet but they're brilliant and they're finding their way through it I don't think she's as far on her journey let's say as what Stephen Kenny is but they're getting there and this to me are two senior teams that are so worth our time and our love and our support and from that then I would expect that 
the likes of Bazuna now is at Manchester City. I know he's been out and loan, et cetera, et cetera. Keegan Kelleher is at Liverpool. Okay, not getting a hold of the games. But we're getting back to that. This is the first time in a while where the curve is starting to point upwards again. And part of that is due to the fact that, like, Zach Elbazetti wouldn't play, wouldn't be playing for AIK in Stockholm if he hadn't been seen playing for Stephen Kenny's under-21s. Yeah. And I remember talking to Roland Nielsen. You can find a clip on YouTube, lads. I talked to Roland, who was the, the under-21 manager when they met Stephen Kenny's team, when Elbazetti impressed. I remember saying to him, Look, at this is not a kick and rush team. Stephen Kenny's team is not a kick and rush team. And he was surprised and shocked. And now people are learning that. And I think these Nations League games are coming up over the couple of weeks of Danny's honeymoon are going to show people that this is a different Ireland. This is a new Ireland. And I think that this is the Ireland that we want everybody to see us as. It's it's mad, right? Because I, I, I wanted to give Stephen Kenny time, right? But I think he had that run initially of what was it, the first seven nine games or, or something, nine yeah. games, whatever it was, that no goal scored or whatever. And I was starting to lose faith. I was starting to go, ah, that comes a fucking time, lads, where you have to kind of wonder, you know? Yeah. Uh, I've never been happier to be wrong. I've, ne- I've, I've been enjoying Ireland matches and I went years where I just wouldn't bother with international football. I'd be like, ah, yeah, look, I mean, if I'm flicking through the towns and I jump onto it, fair enough, mm-hmm. but like, I wouldn't bother going to Lansdowne Road. I wouldn't bother seeking out an Ireland match as such. Whereas now, like you mentioned the Nations League, I think the Nations League is the greatest pile of shit ever. But at the same time, I know we're playing Ukraine. I know we're playing Scotland. I'm looking forward to these games. Yeah. I have. Yeah. If you would ask me three years ago, who are Ireland playing next week? Fucking wouldn't have had a breeze. I, I like ask, the Nations League. I would ask you, was it a rugby match? Do you know what I mean? Like, honestly, that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas now, and it is largely down to Stephen Kenny, just... It's not even a belief that will qualify for anything. But there's, a, well. there's a belief that I'll enjoy watching it. And Do that you know, is fucking more important. I suppose that's what I meant. Uh, the way Danny has, has articulated there is what I meant is that the players seem to be enjoying it. Anytime you hear the players at a press conference, they believe, even in that uh, that tough nine games without a goal or whatever it may be, uh, whatever it was, um, players were still you know, give us time. It's going to work out. Mm. Now, I never lost faith in the process, but I would have said to, to cyn- cynics, you know, what's the alternative? The FBI is bankrupt. I mean, mm. we can't, we don't have to. Morally and financially. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So Stephen Kenny in, in international manager management terms or management terms is probably on a modest enough contract, uh, you know, money-wise in, in, in comparison to the industry. And, and in comparison to what, Martin O'Neill, Trapattoni, and all that were on. So, I mean, anytime I asked what was the alternative, nobody could answer. Do you know what I mean? I think so there's a lot to be said. It's, as it's well, like that. There, it's like the players have bought into it, and there, there's nothing, there's nothing better. There's no better feeling than representing your country. Do, do, do I, Sorry, I was at a game. Sorry, sorry, Dan. I was at a game in Oslo early in Trapattoni's reign. I won't name the player because this was sort of off the record at the time. But uh, I said to him. Like I was talking to him, said, what was it like? You know, and it was, I don't know how many games in it was. We can go back and check the records. But he said, look, he said, before the game, he told me, I don't give a shit if you don't even see the Norwegian goal, right? That's not what you're here for. You're here to make sure we don't concede. And this would have been a player that would have had an eye for a pass, you know, a fellow who might have been able to create something. But Trapattoni was literally telling him, I don't care about that. Don't. That's not how to impress me. The way to impress me is to stop them scoring and that's it. And Man, that to me... But, but it's it's also, it's the very antithesis of sport, right? Because if sport is only about winning and losing, 
why? You know, what's the point of it, right? The whole point, and especially international sport, is to compare ourselves, to see how we stand in relation to others. And can you imagine getting a fellow who's on 20, 30, 50 grand a week in the Premier League and say, no, you're not allowed to express yourself. All that stuff you learned from Fairview Park and the Phoenix Park up to playing at Anfield and playing at, you know, the Stadium of Light and playing at the Emirates and that kind of thing, you're not allowed to do any of that here. Like, it just defeats the purpose. And when you have a manager like Kenny that comes in and says to a group of 30 or 40 players, maybe that he's used now, from Jack Bourne to, you know, Gavin Bazunu at the Premier League champions, and you say to them, I believe in you. I actually want you to do this. Now, Shane Duffy in the first couple of games, you know, you'd be sort of looking, you know, you were like the see no evil monkey going, fucking just hoof it, son. This is not working out. Well, when they settle into it, when you let footballers play football, it's, you know, winning actually matters less then because I realized for years I thought I was a winner, lads. When I went out and played Gaelic football, I thought I was doing everything to win. I thought winning was the most important thing to me. And it was never important. It was never important in Gaelic football. It was never important to me in soccer. It was never important to me in basketball or, or in combat sports. What I actually wanted to do was I wanted to do something that would make people take notice. I wanted to make the past that they didn't see or couldn't play themselves. That's what I wanted to do. And it took me a long time to realize that because I went to school in school with a, in, uh, in Marino there, right? And when we played hurling, you know, they'd be hopping the hurlies off the wall, the teachers, and telling you you were going to go out there and bait the shite and lads. And that just becomes part of your psyche. But it didn't belong with me. It didn't sit yeah. well with me. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, oh, no, I don't actually care. Like I, like, I want to win. Don't get me wrong. I was playing Gaelic football down there about a fucking month ago in Copenhagen. We lost all the games. And it was, we won one game with a last minute goal, and it was just fucking awful. Be <laughs> but that was because we didn't perform. It wasn't because we lost. If you were better than me on the day ground when we're playing basketball, or if you're better than me in, in a jiu-jitsu contest, Dan, that's fine. As long as I've done the absolute best that I can, as long as I've gone out there and gone out in my shield, I'm fine with that now. Now, maybe that's because I'm 50 as well. But when I take that to watching sport, that's literally what I want to see. I want to see... Uh, Jason Tatum playing basketball. I want to see Steph Curry dropping three pointers that you know from just inside the halfway line. I want to see a knockout in the UFC or a submission in the UFC that I just couldn't pull off myself. That's the beauty. That's the real glory in sport. The rest you can just put it under the it's, Christmas tree. It is, and I, I'll just say very quickly: you're looking, you're looking very fresh and sprightly for fifty, Phil. But I think the uh, what you're saying is one hundred percent true because even when you you look at any sport, you look at any sporting situation at all, people tend to hate dominance anything that becomes the same old same old people like Shamrock Rovers that's why exactly everybody hates. everybody hates them because it's shite now but it's do you know what I mean <laughs> it's shite now you know what I mean but like the, the, the Alex Ferguson United team hated because they just kept winning now in fairness they were, they were alright to watch most of the was time. that shite was it but like was but as you, for you? But, no but hang on but as a United fan it was a bit dull I would you what? No, it was right, but it's the same. Look at any sport, look at any you need a, you're only as good as your rival in terms of the entertainment value. Do you know what Old, Tra Old Trafford became the library? Remember, it was the te theater of dreams because of course you want good competitive rivalry, but at the same time, like you're not gonna you're not gonna be uh you're not gonna be going mad if your team is winning all the time. No, you you're not, but at the same time, what I'm saying though is that yeah, success is great, don't get me wrong. But so did you get bored during the Fergie years? Yeah, sure, Graham. I went to rugby because because it was because oh football. My fo God. Football was shy for me. Football was like it was grand. I'd watch it, but let's be honest. For years, how many times did me and you have a chat where you would say one sport that matters, and I'd be like, "Yeah, rugby." 
you know yeah, what I mean? I didn't, I didn't know you. I didn't know you went to rugby because the Fergie years bored you. Because they well, it wasn't. In fairness, it wasn't just the Fergie years that bored me. It was football in general. Was just I was like, this isn't for me anymore. I was just falling out. And now you've left football. rugby for basketball. Uh, yeah, well, this is it now. Basically, I will hop on whatever bandwagon is going. <laughs> yeah, but like, exactly. No, but what are you? So, but like, I, I haven't renewed my season ticket with Leinster in about four years. Actually, since I moved to Leash, that when I moved to Leash, I, I had the remainder of the season on my Leinster season ticket. But have I gone back since? No, but the pandemic probably played a little bit of a part in that as well. But th- the point I'm making is that any sport, you look at Formula One even, everybody hated Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton because all that was happening every season was, oh, here we fucking go again. And it was great when Nico Rosberg beat Hamilton, but it was still Mercedes. Last year, Max Verstappen comes along and now Formula One, everybody's buzzing for it because suddenly, you know, we've got Ferrari back. Look at basketball, Phil. You know, the, the the Boston Celtics needed the LA Lakers. Larry Bird needed Magic Johnson. 100%. You know what I mean? You need these things to happen. And if you're just going out there and dominating, what's the value for people? You can't bring in there's new a fans. Process. Like- there's a process involved in getting to that level. So with Chamber Grovers, they've, like, they've, they've won the league last year. They won the league the season before and they won the FAI Cup the season before that. That, that, that was the process. Well, like, well, let me that, let me ask like, you a question. Stephen Bradley has been in charge for six years. He We haven't won the league six times. It's a process to get there. And mm. your win, lose, or draw. Well, but I think if you look at We like, lost against Drogheda last week, and I was there in Drogheda, and I was miserable. Yeah. So I, I'm not buying into this at all. But, but if you look at, like, uh, that's that's one thing. I'm kind of only half joking when I say that about Shamrock Rovers, right? But if you look at PSG winning the league, the, the men's league in France forever, Juventus nine titles in a row, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Celtic Rangers, it does. Danny's exactly right. When there's no jeopardy in it, it's like that thing of, you know, oh, well, what happens? Yeah, well, they play for 120 minutes and then the Germans win on penalties, you know? One of the best uh, things that I saw recently was the Women's Champions League final, which was a week before the men's. Right? I watched it, yeah. Yeah, so you saw the game, right? So Alda Hegebeck comes back for Olympic Lyon. She'd been out with a knee injury almost a year and a half. And in, in that time, Barcelona created this unbelievable team, right? They, it was just impossible to beat them. They only lost once all season. And that was the semi-final second leg to Wolfsburg of Germany, right? And they still made the final because they were already through. And then they came out and Leon took them apart. The first half of that game, Graham, was... I don't know if yeah, you well, agree, I was looking at amazing. the base, I was looking at the the betting and I love doing a bet the re, uh, result in both teams to score right and yeah. Leon were twenty two to one and I was like oh Jay's I, I won't touch that because um Barca are, are firm favourites here and yeah. then I went out to to the dog came back in and was fucking three one or something yeah yeah and like Leon just tore them apart in the first half an hour you know and that was like and even afterwards I actually tipped Barcelona to win that game as well and I should have known better and there's a few people around Hegeby who was saying you should have known better. Because yeah. that's just what she does in these big. She's the top scorer in the whole competition. But that those two now have created that kind of Celtics Lakers in the eighties rivalry, right? And that's jeopardy. But like you know, I've always said the, the, the greatest thing that's happened in, in recent years in English football is Liverpool being back at the top, right? Because I found it really boring because Manchester United were so dominant for so long and Liverpool were so terrible for so long. And you'd have you know. Chelsea and Manchester City, I have a hard time respecting those clubs because any club can do that, as Newcastle will next year with a huge amount of money. But when you build that, now I know Liverpool has spent millions as well, right? But every club is doing that now. But when, you know, when Liverpool come in and they're contesting Manchester United, Arsenal, it just makes for a more enjoyable spectacle. But for years there, as Dan says, you know, and the same thing, like it was at um, Ron O'Gara winning the European Cup there with uh, La Rochelle against Leinster over the weekend. A great thing for rugby. Now, Leinster. Oh, I think for Leinster. Yeah, absolutely. I was miserable watching it, but at the same time, I had to tip my hat and say, 
La Rochelle, two finals in a row. They lost the first one. They came back. There, there's a ro- there is romance in sports. There's no place for it, but it's there. And every yeah. so often, you just you have to let it go. Like it's just. I, you know, I hadn't heard of La Rochelle till Sunday morning. I thought it was a champagne. I thought it was a fucking chocolate. You know, I didn't know. <laughs> Seriously, I thought who, who are these people wanting to be up? Like, you, know? you know. But what Dan, just going back to what Dan is saying about the romance in sport, right? I've, I've said it to you both a couple of times. During the pandemic, I went back to reading books about boxing and baseball because some of the greatest writing about any sport is to do with rock, uh, boxing and baseball. And there's a guy called Roger Angel who just died there, an American man, and he used to write for the New Yorker. He wrote about many subjects. When he wrote about baseball, it doesn't matter that we don't know it, that we didn't grow up with it, we didn't understand. It's just poetry, you know? And that to me is there's so much sport and there's so little romance. There's so few of those moments, you know, those moments, you know, when... Um, of like you know, saying bolt less than ten seconds to win an Olympic medal. His entire Olympic career could be measured in a couple of minutes, basically. You know, mm. but when you find those moments, I was watching a broadcast the other night where they were talking about Michael Jordan scoring sixty three on the Celtics in the playoffs in nineteen eighty six. It doesn't matter that he lost the game. It was one of the greatest performances ever, and that's what we look back on. If we look back on this Real Madrid team that beat Liverpool, we'll wonder why Liverpool can't score in a cup final. And we look back at, you know, Swedes always talk about the forehead, you know, and some people have a forehead that's made of iron and some people, they say, have one that's made of ice cream, right? And that Liverpool team, because they don't have any resilience whatsoever, you know, so they, they would say their forehead is made of ice cream. And th- that's the thing that that's why we keep turning it on. If you know everybody's going to win every week, like, you know, the viewing figures drop off, the interest drops off, you know, yeah, which is yeah. why they're setting sports I don't know. And this, and this, and, uh, the, the, and the NBA playoffs are a great example of that because now we've got a situation where the the Celtics, as you said, first time in the final in years. Golden State Warriors, first time in the final in years. And last year, I, like I honestly thought the Phoenix Suns were going to take some beating this year. Mm-hmm. They just looked like they were on a tear. Just did not see them crashing out the way they did. The Bucks probably didn't have a great season. They kind of you know, after winning it last year, they kind of went from side to side, meandered their way into it. They came up against the Celtics team that just is clicking at the right time. Yeah. Now, I would have loved to see Luka Doncic. I, I want Luka to get a chip. I just mm. do. I love the guy. In but time, all in time. But, but at the same time, Celtics Warriors is just, it's a final that I'm like, I didn't see this coming, but I'm fucking happy this is happening. Like That's the thing. My alarms are set for every day. It starts now on Thursday night. So by the time this podcast comes out. So they play uh, best of seven, is it? Yeah. yeah, it's best of seven. So first thing when's game four. one? Game one is on Thursday night. So I think this podcast usually comes out on a Saturday morning. So there'll be it, one it'll game come right. out. It'll come out on Thursday this week because <laughs> I, I've, I've jobs to do with being told. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I can just imagine Danny sitting there going, "No, pet, I know the car's outside. Yeah. I have to get the podcast out." You know, Graham will go nuts. You know. So okay, so that that game will be coming out this evening, right? Or the first game will be on this evening. But it, that's <laughs> fascinating because of the way the Celtics have become a real team, right? They've gone from a team of individuals to being a team where no one part is more important than the rest, and that has been a very hard road for this team right because team sports has become so individual like I usually say that you know professional soccer at the highest level in the Champions League the Premier League is no longer a team game it's 11 individuals fighting for the right to be millionaires and that's just how it works right there was a guy Mikey Collins a young lad from Tala uh, I think his father or his uncle is a, uh, an agent who took a lot of those young lads from sort of Dublin Southwest there over to Manchester City and that good lad, nice families. And uh, Mikey was telling me at one point there was 50 pros on the books at Liverpool, right? So just to get into the reserve team on a Wednesday, never mind the fucking A team 
right? You have 49 lads ahead of you when you arrive over on the boat, right? Yeah, yeah. So that means you're way out and they're killing each other in training every day. And it doesn't matter who you are. Like they're going, they're going at it every single day. So the Boston Celtics, you know, the, the guys are there. I have fairly good connections with the club. I've been privileged enough to see them play in the Boston Garden. I've seen playoff basketball there, which for a fellow from the north side who grew up watching Larry Bird, it doesn't get any fucking better, you know? But I've been there uh, when they were playing against the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron and that. And that was the problem at the time was they were, you know, each individual was like, you know, it, it, their own little satellite, right? And the coaches come in, a first-year coach called Ime Udoka came in and went, I don't care who you fuckers are, right? You're passing the ball, right? And if passing the ball is the right thing to do, I'm going to start calling him the American Stephen Kenny, right? Because if <laughs> passing the ball is the right thing to do, they do it. And if they don't do it, they're right out of there. You know, and he's brilliant. If you make a mistake, it's like, I told you not to do that. Go sit at the end of the fucking bench and I might come and get you net for the next game, you know? And yeah. that that holding people accountable as well. Because at the end of the day, I kind of joked about, you know, being individualists and being millionaires and that kind of thing. But the ability, you know, to put everything aside and to do what's best for the team is probably the most treasured value in all of sports. It's that sense of humility because that's what team sports is. It's yeah. about, you know, you putting yourself at the mercy of the team and saying, you know, well, I might have to take this charge. I might have to, you know, go up against this guy. I might have Janice dunking a ball in my face. I could be on a poster in every bedroom in America because of what it does here. But this is the right play to make right now, you know? And that's what, that's the rarefied air. I mean, there's only, what, 450-odd pros in the NBA, right? That's a tiny percentage of the American population, let alone the global population that could uh, could play. Oh, Dan, did you see the other day, by the way, in my Insta story, I met Ennis Cantor at the airport in Stockholm. Lovely no, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. So Ennis is a, a Turkish basketball player, Graham, and he played for the Celtics for a little while, and then he was let go during the season and sent away. But he was over, his, his, actually, his name is actually Ennis Freedom. He changed his name to Ennis Freedom. But his father Freedom. is also... Yeah, so his father would be, you know, one of the people being persecuted by Erdogan in Turkey. They took away Ennis's passport and the whole, how the fuck he got to Stockholm? I've no idea if he's no passport, but uh, I met him at like eight o'clock the other morning, but I digress. There's only like, you know, a, a few hundred players who ever get to do this and to see these guys operate at that level, but also to see the struggle that they have to, to put themselves and there's parallels to be drawn in all of society, you know, where, mm. okay, what's best for me? What's best for us? And that whole thing of what's best for us almost always has to come what's best for just me and me alone, apart from on Saturday, Dan. Remember what I said. Come here, um, Phil. I don't, am I right in saying that um, the NBA teams have wheelchair basketball teams as well? Uh, there are some with wheelchair basketball teams. It's one of those things that they're trying to get the WNBA up and going and they're trying to get a uh, wheelchair basketball up and going. It's never really taken off, but I think we're living in a time now, Graham, where that's going to get going. We're seeing an awful lot more in the terms of Paralympics and the coverage that people are getting. I think we're living in a great time for, for women's sport and for Paralympic sport, which has been criminally ignored for so long, you know? And you were saying as well that the, is the European Championships is coming up in Bosnia, yeah? That's right. That's right. That's a good segue, Phil. Wait, so when does that kick off? Now you're doing off. my job for me. It's well, all right, Dan. I, you're I, off I, this week. Oksana has things for you to do. We're getting married, Dan. Um, <laughs> as I don't know if Danny, I, I don't know if I ever discussed that on the pod, but I no, won. we we've been saving it for a special episode, Graham. And sure, yeah. no time like the present, given we're going on holiday. Back in January, I was appointed uh, assistant coach of the Irish wheelchair basketball team. So, um, we are headed. Our last training session is this Saturday. And we are headed to Sarajevo on uh, Sunday, June twelfth. Uh, the tournament tip uh, tournament kicks off on Wednesday, the fifteenth of June. Um, we were drawn in a group with Serbia, um, Slovenia, and Latvia. So our first game is on Wednesday, the fifteenth of June. 
uh, one o'clock. I think that may be 12 o'clock Irish time against Serbia. We owe Serbia um, a beating because they beat us by nine points at the last Euros. Uh, we play on Thursday the 16th of June against Latvia at four o'clock. And we play on Friday the 17th of June um, against Slovenia at half three and hoping to top the group and get out of the group. It's a it's a mixture of wheelchair basketball in Europe is done um, division-wise um, based on your standards. So there's A, B, C, D. We're currently in C um, and we're looking to be promoted to potentially A because it's a joint tournament due to the pandemic of Division B and C. So Division B would be the likes of Belgium, Portugal, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's going on YouTube. Uh, all the matches will be live on YouTube. Um, so I'll be posting them up all on my socials. I'll be ramping up some media attention. So we'll, if, you can get we'll them, if, if both of you can get involved in the sharing Absolutely. of that, we'll that be, would be... We'll be that would we'll be, be much appreciated. It would be shared and absolutely everywhere, Graham. And I'd not be sharing it like it was monkey pox, Graham. Honestly, <laughs> <God, I don't laughs> but, but the other thing is that's a that's a real group of death right there because basketball is like a religion in Latvia and in Serbia and in Slovenia, you know. So you can imagine. But I mean, you know, going in there with an Irish team, do we have an experienced assistant coach like our good self going in there? How, like, if I can ask you a question, I know, Jesus, I'm supposed to be the one answering the questions here, but how tactical is the is the game at that level? Or, you know, is it down to having the best in individual players or when you're going out there can you sort of put it to put together tactical plans to contain their best players and to make absolutely the most of it's, it's it's very tactical and in actual fact last saturday you know it was last saturday and the saturday before was probably the kind of first two saturdays where me and the head coach uh villian ryan were um where we were kind of like the pennies dropping, you know, with the tactics that we're trying to to, to adapt. So, yeah, you, you, the question about tactics, it, it is very much against tactics. We have come up with tactics where we think we can do really well in this tournament. Um, wheelchair basketball, as, as both of you are well aware, um, are, is done classification-wise. So, you know, you're allowed 14 points on court um, and you might have a 4.5 uh, classification player which w- he would be quite tall in his chair um, and you would have a couple of 1.5ers now I'm the assistant coach I'm not playing in this but my when I'm playing in the in the National League I'm a 1.5 so it would be my job to either try and get the big guys in or depending on the opposition like we have kind of strategized for the tournament um, we're looking to actually get the 1.5ers in without giving too much away. Um, but yeah, we're looking to, ta- to attack the elbow to get a lot of movement down the base. Just Graham, um, I'll just I'll just stop you here. Like we had 37 downloads in Latvia last week. <laughs> I don't I don't want to, put, to me. I don't All want to put the, fear the basketball in you. association. I don't They're want to, put the to fear me. In you. But Riga is a hot spot, so just <laughs> be careful. So yeah, now. we. Air tactics will be looking for the 1.5ers to attack the elbow, to swing the ball, to, you know, constantly move it in the 24. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to do really well. It sounds like it's going to be a fascinating watch because like, you know, to go out there and to, to live and die by such, you know, sort of slashing towards the basket and trying to create space. There's an awful lot of teams, you know, like back in the 70s and back in the 80s, it literally was, you know, get that ball in there to the big fella and just hope that he's fucking bigger than everybody else. And yeah, well, we're hoping for our big fellas just to get the rebounds, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. In, 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 our, in our phase one, we have a couple of phases, but phase one, the priority um, would be for the 1.5ers uh, to, to take the shoot. Or if there's a... 
or if there's or if we can create a space at the top of the key, depending on the opposition. Yeah, Latvia are quite a small team, so you know we could be driving against them and, and creating space. But as you said, Phil, creating space in wheelchair sports or wheelchair basketball, it's it's easy it's easy to do on the on the training court, but mm. when you have to apply that in a match, Danny, you've been to loads yeah. of Ballymore Bulls matches. You 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 actually you, you over the years you know the rules now when you know what we're trying to do at a club level. So um I just can't wait to see it. for it. I just can't wait to see it lumped up top when it's a close game, two minutes to go, and a few sky hooks being thrown in there from the tall lad. <laughs> yeah, I, I who's, who's your never, cream? Forget all that other shit I said. <laughs> just put it in the fucking basket, lads. You know, you know we we played a few friendlies with the twenty trees uh, over the last couple of weeks, and we have two friendlies this Saturday with them uh, as well because they're heading off to the uh, Paralympic Youth Games in Helsinki uh, a week later. But there's there's been matches where the last couple of seconds there has been hook shots from the halfway line. Is is it a case as well? Like I mean, because obviously, like look, the pandemic put fucking everything on hold. But did, like, did, did wheelchair sports particularly suffer? And because these international tournaments, I mean, it's, it's is it funding yeah. hard hard enough to get anyway? And then you throw this into the mix and trying to get everything back up and running. Has it been tougher than you'd expected, or? Well, there's pros and cons to that in terms of the pandemic. Uh, the cons being that the, the international tournaments did just come to a standstill. Um, the pros for us and this uh, squad of players is that, you know, unfortunately, due to lack of funding, uh, I've, I've represented Ireland a couple of times where it's come out of my own pocket or the company, my employer, has has sponsored me um, for that trip. So we do have to pay for our trips. But because of the international tournaments coming to a standstill in the pandemic there is kind of backdated funding left over that needs to be spent so the players will need to pay um, to, to represent their country but it won't be what they had paid in previous years and previous tournaments it'll be significantly lesser than what they had to pay previously which is good but you know yeah. a lot of people that are um that are not wide to that um, Joe Soap um, generally is horrified that uh, air squad of players uh, and the under 23s when they head off a week later have to pay to represent their country but we are where we are well, you know we kind of have a similar situation in Nordic GAA like our, our nearest game is like you know our, our nearest challenge match might be two hours up the road on a Saturday morning you know so there's always an expense involved there and you do it because you love it but when you're representing Ireland Graham we're one of the richest countries in the world, right? Per capita. It's not like the money isn't there. And you just, you'd love to see a situation where we go back to when Steph Roach and, and Louise Quinn and Emma Bourne and everybody was coming out and saying to the FAI, look, just fucking treat us decently, you know, put us up in a decent hotel, give us a fucking track so we can keep, you know? And the same thing for Paralympians and for Paralympic sports. Like, okay, you know, I I don't want the lads being paid, you know, for every week of the year, that kind of thing. But when it comes to this, if it costs 20 grand, if it costs 30 grand, if it costs 50 grand, like, you know, seriously, that money has to be found somewhere. For major tournaments like World Championships or European Championships, it's not a big ask. And I do it's think that... It's not know, a big ask at all, you're right. No, but, but I do think that, you know somebody in your position who's battled so hard for so long just for the crumbs from the table you know yeah. we need to look at getting you the whole slice do you know what i mean yeah. it shouldn't be a situation where you should be going cap in hand and saying look i have this great bunch of lads we're going over there there's a couple of coaches that kind of thing like it should be a given that you know the, the but even look at the boxing phil we've got a middleweight european champion and gabriel dawson and yeah. his his funding was cool 
Oh, but like, yeah, this tournament. is the thing. And, like, and again, I don't want to take the focus off wheelchair basketball at all, but just the way we do things, if we go back to where we started this conversation, you're representing me. You and your players are going to represent me, right? It sounds to me like you're going to try to play the kind of creative, aggressive basketball that I grew up watching that I love and that I see the Celtics playing and that I want to see the Irish wheelchair basketball. Fucking pay for it. I'll give you money towards it, right? Yeah, but yeah. really, our state needs to be behind it because these are the people you're creating stories, you're creating heroes, you're creating icons, right? We're doing the same thing in boxing, we're doing the same thing in football. We put so much money into these things. And like I say, you're not asking for much. Why is it so hard for us to divert the few, the little few bob that you need in the grand scheme of things? You know, again, it goes back to that question of what do we prioritize? You know, and I'd yeah. much rather prioritize you and your lads and the boxers and the, you know, the next Katie Taylors of this world than, oh, look, you know, um, there, here's another skyscraper. Or, or oh shall we build another fucking hotel like you know yeah yeah, yeah. parody is something that doesn't come easy in Ireland it just doesn't like you know <laughs> and uh, parody or parody uh, well no parody <laughs> parody comes far too easy that's the problem but parody parody of esteem particularly is who, who was it who is, said that uh, as soon as you start to watch Father Ted and realize it's a documentary your life will change <laughs> <laughs> but it is but uh Mero, yeah, so the so Irish wheelchair basketball team representing the Europe, uh, the, sorry, is are representing the whole country in the European Championships, uh, June 12th, 15th, 15th, and 16th, and 17th, isn't it? 15th, 16th, 17th are the group games, yeah. uh, and then the games, uh, I. I don't know who gets who until after we, yeah, we see yeah. how the groups go and grip both Division B, but it's Division B and Division C together, it's usually only. Division C together, Division B together, Division A together. There is potential in this tournament to to qualify and to get promoted to Division A. Brilliant. And I think the Division yeah. A European Championships are in this uh, are this December. So we are going also to an invitational tournament in Barcelona in September, um, which mm. is all paid for by the organisers in Barcelona. So brilliant, brilliant. And the, the, the European Championships will be streamed live on YouTube. Keep an eye on Meadow social media, on What's Story social media, all the social media will be shared. On Phil's them. social media, on Danny's Absolutely. social media. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, it will. Um, Phil, to move things along slightly, and a story, uh, if we can try and be topical, lads, Ooh. Um, a story that has taken social media by storm, what is Sweden gay and what are you doing? What's going on? Uh, it's I never even heard of this. It's, uh, uh, strap yourself in, Meryl, you're going to love this, right? <laughs> so what happened was somebody started a thread on Reddit and asked the question, you know, sort of, I, th- I think it was to do with play dates or something like that. What's the weirdest shit that ever happened, right? So somebody went on to Reddit then and they said, well, uh, I went to play with my mate as a kid. And we're playing away in the kid's room. And then their mother came up and said, it's time for your dinner. And this, the other kid says to this kid, wait there, I'll be right back. So the kid went downstairs, ate their dinner, and came back up. Now, the kid who was left in the room, I think was from some sort of immigrant background, was going, what the fuck just happened there, right? <laughs> you know, why wasn't I asked to go down, but, you know, break bread with the family, that kind of thing? Because, no, that doesn't happen in Sweden, right? So this was posted on Reddit, and the whole world lost its shit, right? 
it culminated in a woman here over here in Sweden called Lavette Jallo. From the name, I can guess that somewhere around Gambia or somewhere like that that she comes from, right? So she went and she started a Twitter space about all these things that Swedish people do, these weird little sort of crazy things. Like, you know, if you go to a party, like if you're having a party now on Friday night, Dan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just before, the, you know, everybody's getting together, that kind of thing, right? And, you know, all the booze is there. And you go, oh, hang on, sorry, that's my bottle of wine there. So, uh, no, you can't, you can't have any of that, right? So you just hold on to and everybody be looking at you going, are you out of your fucking mind, son? But pour us a glass there and get done with it. You know? Well, no, no, if you go to a party with Swedish people, they literally stand there holding the thing. They won't even put their beers in the fridge because they're so afraid that somebody's going to rob it on them, right? So all of these things, and it, it culminated in Lovett starting a Twitter space, which is where you go on. It's kind of like Clubhouse was supposed to be before it fell off the face of the earth, right? And like she had people on sharing these experiences and a lot of them were rooted in racism. A lot of them were rooted in these major cultural misunderstandings. Uh, and the Twitter space went on for five hours and 34 minutes of people what? just telling these stories, right? One after the other, right? And basically the whole world looked at that and going, is Sweden too miserable to feed a child? Is Sweden too miserable to put a bit of meat and two veg in front of And the country just lost its shit, right? So people here, I mean, my missus was saying, the same thing would have happened to her. She was in our mate Sarah's gaff every day. And, you know, now she's an oddball at times we begin with, but she's going, no, I never thought that was weird at all, right? So it does have cultural roots, right? So it might be that, you know, oh, my kids go out and they eat and that kind of thing. And they've, you know, I planned a dinner at home and then my kid comes out and goes, I'm not hungry. Well, this food is going to go to waste. You know, and the Swedes would say, that's not right. You shouldn't impose on other people. You shouldn't go into somebody else's house with an expectation that they're going to feed you, right? But when you live in the area I live in and when you know the people that I know around here, right, it's about 50% Swedish people. My neighbours at this wall pointing away from me, they're from Turkey. My neighbours on the other side are from Iran. There's people from everywhere here. There's people from Luleå on the far north of Sweden. There's people from Finland and from Norway and from, uh, you know, everywhere here, right? But if I go into their houses, like, I will literally come home twice my original size, right? I look like Elvis in Vegas because they'll feed you that well. And if you don't eat, you know, you're the worst in the world. A mate of mine is from Eritrea. He's married to a Kurdish girl, right? And he used to play professional football. And I needed to interview him for a documentary. And there was only one time I could do it. His in-laws live, you know, about 10 minutes away, five minutes away in the car. I said, I'm at my mother-in-law's now. Can you come over and do this thing? And I rushed into the house. And it was literally five minutes of an interview for a radio documentary I was making. And I made a radio documentary and I was leaving. And it was a Sunday night, lads. It must have been eight or nine o'clock. And I was leaving. And his mother-in-law stopped me and just stood in the doorway like this. I just gone, but you haven't eaten anything. Will you have a cup of tea? I was going, no, missus, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I have to go. And she let me out and she went, this has never happened before. I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, I have to give you something. I can't have you leave me house without eating. So that's, you know, it's this huge sort of cultural clash. But everything has come into it then, lads. You know, the whole thing of going to parties and alcohol and this kind of thing. And they are odd people. And there's a sort of a strong but individual that, that, speaking of them. The, the, the initial story isn't exclusive to Sweden, though. I remember growing up and, you know, when uh, I grew up and in, in my grandparents' house and the next door neighbours, um, the... The man was an Irish man, though the wife was a French woman. And I used to love going in there and playing uh, in the morning up until lunch because she was the first, it was the first house that ever had Nutella. And in the summer, <laughs> she'd always make pancakes and Nutella. And, you know, there was always like, here's, here's a few pancakes for Graham. Now I went to, I, if, if you went to a different family on the street or around the back or whatever, um, it would. It, there was a case of, you know, you'd be playing video games in the back room 
uh, and they'd be called for their lunch in the summer and you'd be in there playing video games until they come back out for their lunch. So I don't think it's exclusive it's, to it, Absolutely, it's not. Now, there is a whole thing, don't wrong with that. Like Phil said, you know, you break bread and whatever, and that, and people do that. It's a way of welcoming people in and saying, like, what I have, you have, this kind of thing, right? Yeah. But then I can remember as a kid, certainly, where, you know, you'd be in a friend's house, like you said, you're playing video games or you watch watching whatever or something like that, and they get called and they go outside into the kitchen or whatever. They'd have a boy to eat, but you and do that, lads, just be kind of sitting there. And, you know, I mean, we grew up in the 90s in Dublin, in Ballybrack, where a lot of people didn't have. So, you know, if there was three extra mouths in the house, all of a sudden they were like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. back, back to your own house for the Goodfellas pizza, lads. It's not in well, here, you'll be I, getting I, that. I think it's one of the differences, though, Dan, is that, right, you know, like this is, you're talking about something much more formal than you wouldn't turn up at somebody's door the way we would do in Ballybrack or Dunny County, right? Mm. Where all of a sudden, you know, there's a parade of mates going through your hall and then all of a sudden there, like, there's no expectation of catering in that situation, right? Absolutely, yeah. But if my kid is like six, you know, they're fucking 17 mm. and 15 now, play dates are a thing of the past here. But if you were to say to them, right, you know, oh, can my friend come over? Absolutely. Right. So if you're inviting them into your house, it's a different thing, right? Yeah, now, the yeah. other thing that they're absolute bastards. Night dates right? are different. I get that. Yeah. So so that's it. But that, that would be one of those things where they're not expected, right? But the one thing that drove me mad here, like I remember being here, it was probably 1995, I think, when I was here the first time. And I went to a pub, right? I didn't have a whole lot of money. And then, like, Sweden was an extremely expensive country for gargle, that kind of thing. So we went out in this town called Notelia, which is, like, you know, 70 kilometers north of Stockholm. I just had that in his pancakes. <laughs> Far more tasty than this place as well, I can tell you, right? But we went out, and there's this pub called The Corner. We went down there, and I got the first round in. And they just automatically assumed, oh, this is the nicest man in the world. And I thought, well, obviously, we're in a round here. I had no understanding of the concept, lads. And I'm sitting there down about 30 quid. 30 quid in 1995 was probably about a third of my week's wages, I'd say, you know? And you're sitting there going, okay, is anybody else getting one? Nobody's moving. You know, it's like, oh, fuck. You know, so I very quickly learned that that's not a thing, you know? There has been, like, if you're sitting with people and they're having dinner, right, down to the last crown, you know, it's happened to me in so many places where somebody would say, Oh, you know, you owe this or you had that or, you know, this and you're thinking, lads, just fucking split the thing 10 ways or six ways or whatever, you know. And sometimes like, you know, you go in for lunch or whatever. Um, we, we were playing a football match one night, right? And there's one of the lads, Boyan Georgic, you'll see him on MUTV on occasion, he used to play for Manchester United, nicest fellow in the world. And after the game, he says to everybody, he says, okay, I'm driving back to Shista. His parents live here near me. He says, does anybody need a lift home? And they said, well, where are you going? He said, well, where do you fucking live? I said, because, you know, if it was a Swedish person, they wouldn't give you a lift home. They'd give you a lift to their place and then you could just fucking fend for yourself, you know? <laughs> Whereas if, if you were giving Merrow a lift home, Dan, you drop to his door kind of thing rather than just go to your gaff. Absolutely, yeah. Kiss him on the forehead, good night in the works. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But <laughs> instead of just going to your gaff and going, all right, Graham, fuck off, you're on your own now, you know? <laughs> so it's those weird things that, you know, nobody depends on anybody else and therefore they, you can't expect anything of them. Like a lot of people here, we've talked about COVID and that kind of thing lot right and yeah. you know there would be the expectation here where like you know um my mother-in-law and father-in-law you know if you heard that they were very ill or anything as a as like i'd be going okay what can we do for them you know does do they want to move in here or whatever you know do we have a, there's none of that here whatsoever right there's like oh, they're on their own now we've moved out they can look after themselves you know and i've always found that i grew up in a house with my mother's mother didn't get along particularly well but you know but we grew up that was just the way it was lads and mm. you know you couldn't ever imagine a situation where 
anybody would just be left to fend for themselves if they were ill or, or that kind of thing. But, you know, there is that sort of individualist streak that, you know, once you're 18, like, I oh, yeah, joke about it with my kids, like the day you're 18, I'm driving you to Ikea and then to your new home. And then that's the fucking end of this. All obligations stop there, you know? And uh, I think they're probably happy enough of that after living with me for the guts of 20 years, you know? But it's, uh, and just you, you mentioned, I say his name wrong because my knowledge of him is from football manager many moons ago. Bo, Bojan Jordic, is it? But Bojan Jordic, yeah. Yeah, fo- him, yeah, football manager, well, championship manager as it was back then. Absolute legend in that game. Man. One of, you still play that, Danny? Uh, I haven't played, I haven't bought it in the last, let's say, maybe two years, two or three years ago. Was the last you played it up to two years ago? Uh, yeah, and I'd, I'd play it again if I had time frame. Just it's it's a you have to dedicate time to that game. If, if I lived in Leash, I wouldn't fucking do anything else. I wouldn't go inside <laughs> the door. <laughs> it, man. But I I have to give Boyan credit, right? His he moved to Manchester United about the same time as I moved over here, and his father Ranko used to play for Red Star Belgrade, and his mother lived around the corner from me. And that fa- they're just the nicest people, you know. And when you see Boyan on TV or whatever, he comes across as a you know little bit of a sort of a hard man kind of a thing, but he's just the best character. He's been in this house countless times. You know, he's just such a fantastic bloke. And it doesn't matter what you need. I haven't seen him, probably haven't seen him in person for a year. But if I pick up that phone, well, if I pick it up now, he's in Ljubljana on holidays or something like that. But if you were to pick up the phone and ask him for anything, he'd be at your door in five minutes. He's just the most genuine, decent fella. Doesn't matter. Brilliant career. Played Thank for yourself, Rangers. Phil. Ah, when I, you know, I don't even know if I'm as trustworthy as this fella is. But just, you know, like, like the three of us, he's just full of love for his fellow man. There's nothing he couldn't do for you. And just... The, the world, it just needs more people like him. And you know what, lads, actually, one of the things he really should get more credit for, when he came back, he sort of never officially retired from football. He just sort of, you know, gl- he just slid out of the game a little bit. He went and he played the first season of the Indian Super League. Marco Matarazzi, who used to play for Inter, yeah. was the yeah, manager. Yeah. Played against Del Piero the whole lot. <laughs> one morning he came down, like we had this sort of pickup power league team. He said, I'm going to India and I need to play games. I said, you want to play fucking games with me? I owe you on mind, you know? I said, yeah, I can't get insurance to play anywhere else. So I'm going to have to play. So he came down on a Sunday morning. I said, okay, you can do this, but you have to understand that this level is an awful lot lower, you know? And the next thing he's knocking these long balls for me and he's looking at me going, why don't you run? It's because I'm not Andy fucking Cowboy, you know. <laughs> like, you know that's, that's right. Scale it back just a little bit, you know. But once he came back, then he started to coach teams here, and he didn't coach teams in the Allsvenskan, <laughs> the top division or the mm. Super Ethel. He came down to Division Seven, Division Six, Division Five, and to this day he's still involved. And he goes around talking to young fellas and being a part of the community. Nobody, he doesn't have to do this, you know. Like he does it because he wants to offer fellas the opportunity. He wants to offer them a bridge into, you know polite society and say look at you know if you want to make as a footballer you want to be a pro footballer this is my experience he'll, he'll admit now that you know some of the decisions he made at united and that kind of thing weren't the best but he's always there for people and really as i say i just you know i want him to know he does know how much i love him but i want everybody else to know how much he deserves to be loved because he's such a fucking great bloke you know yeah he's a he's a football championship manager as it was legend himself and javier saviola were the two that i oh, saviola what a footballer oh man and he did he made the barcelona and everything he was river plate as well he used to sign That's him right, from yeah. him. and Fantastic. then he signed for Barcelona and I remember saying to my mates watch him tell you now like, watch it and he you know never quite made the impact I claimed as far as I was concerned he was going to revolutionise Barcelona like do you know what I mean still but, a uh, fantastic player oh, unbelievable player but like and that's the thing that's I feel like people kind of miss out on these things now because one of the things that, that I loved about that game was you discover players and then when you heard about them out in the real world you know, it's something in your head go, oh, that's that's my fucking you know what I mean? And now everyone's just cause you can watch any fucking football in any country in the world at the click of a button and it's kinda 
it's great but at the same time it's a little bit of magic loss for me like but, but I think that goes back to you know Graham and I know both of you are big fans of the wrestling like going back many years and it's that thing of Football manager helped to build a narrative around certain players, right? It helped mm. to make certain players household names, like Boyan, that maybe wouldn't have been otherwise, you know? And Very true. Again, if we go back to where we started the conversation, make me care, right? I'm not watching sport for anything other than I want to feel a part of this. I want to know who I want to win and who I want to lose. Make me invested in what it is you're doing, you know, mm. because it is the great escape. There's a reason there's 162 baseball games in American season. It's because life for the most Americans is shite, right? And they need that bit of escapism. There's a reason why people wanted to see Muhammad Ali box. There's a reason why they want to see Conor McGregor or John Jones fight. There's a reason why they want to see the NBA finals between the Celtics and, and the Warriors, right? It's not enough just to be good at what you do or to be even the best at what you do. But we had, we've come off this great generation where we've had that argument about Messi and Ronaldo, about Gerard and Lampard. Ibrahimovic has been in there. There's been Lewandowski is in there later years. Mbappe there now, you know, but we need that. We need these great narratives. We need to be made to care about them. And the more these people reflect ourselves in the way that Boyan, I mean, Boyan's family fled the war in Yugoslavia in the mid nineties. Mm. And if you sit him down, he'll tell you the stories about it, you know, and like the idea of coming to a, to a different country and being called a cigarette smuggler because you know you've got black hair and you know everybody over here was blonde and we made it feel excluded and feeling that he had to speak better Swedish than everybody else in the whole country just to be accepted and knowing that he never would be and that's the yeah. other side of Sweden Gate Danny it's this thing of no matter how long we live here we'll never really be part of it and that's why so many people in the Irish community in the Somali community in the Kurdish community here we end up making our own thing because we're never going to be fully accepted into that you know but again sport plays a great role in bringing those all, all those things together you know in those Kurdish teams like, yeah what Greek about teams. The, the, the Swedish Football League there's no like we've seen um, just this afternoon uh, Alan Pardew has walked away from CSK Sofia yep. in Bulgaria because his assistant and some of his players were racially abused and him and his assistant have walked away. Like in Sweden, domestically, like, you know, culturally, there seems to be, well, on the lead up to elections and stuff like that, there seems to be a bit of um, racial tension. What what is it like on in the in the terraces of football matches? Well, you know, I've I've been there myself. I've had a fellow by the collar one time at a game between you and another bro, and there was a guy called Abgar Barson playing. He went on to play. He had a decent enough career at Heronville in Holland, right? But he, he misplaced the pass. He was playing for Hugh Gordon. And one of Hugh Gordon's own fans stood up and abused him, right? And Abgar would be of Syrian extraction. He's actually of a Syrian extraction. So they're like Assyrians and Syrians are sort of slightly different. So he would be an Assyrian Christian. So, mm. uh, and this guy stands up and says, what the fuck are you doing, you pizza baker? Because there's going to be a lot of pizza play shops will be owned by Assyrian people. I worked in one of them myself when I moved over here, lads. And I turned around and I fucking grabbed him. I said, what's wrong with bacon fucking pizza? You know? And the man got the fright of his life because nobody else around him was going to say anything. But that was back in the time when I might have a few beers before I went to a game as a fan and sat down, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I was leaving him in no doubt that I didn't want to hear any more about this again. There has been times when Zlatan has been abused. Like, it is one of those things. But thankfully, it has sort of disappeared now that, you know, we're now into a generation... Zlatan abused for what? Oh, was that, you see, like people from the Balkans, like Boyan would have been called a cigarette smuggler. They would be called gypsies. They would be called all sorts oh, wow. of things. And of course, that happened as Latin in Italy as well. You know, you can yeah. see, you'll see the word, you know, uh, use. I'm not going to use the word on this podcast because plenty of Eastern European uh, uh, listeners will recognize it, you know. But it's just one of those, th those terms would be used. And it's, it's an easy one, you know, like if Elbow's 80 misses across, you thick Irish bastard, you know, this. Now, I've never heard that, but that's the kind of thing that you might expect people to say, you know, yeah. it's thankfully disappeared. And especially at AIK where Zach plays, 
Um, it's along the blue line of the underground here. And the blue line, it's funny, it actually starts in at the Royal Palace where the king lives and it passes through where I live and finishes out sort of in the immigrant suburbs. And I see that as very sort of symbolic of the modern Sweden, of the multicultural thing, a bit like Stephen Kenny's team that we were talking about earlier on there. And there it was one of the first places to disappear because all of a sudden the lads from the stations around here and from the pitches around here started to play for that team. Boy, and among them, he won the Swedish championship with them in 2009, I think it was. And he came from the football pitches around here you know so what, what do you make it to see the Alan Pardew thing Phil um, look, I think it's the only way to go. I think that there has to be, you know, you can take the knee all you want, but eventually, you know, it, like, you have to judge people by their actions. And Alan Pardew in this situation, I've heard things about him from people who worked at Newcastle that he wasn't, you know, the nicest character, that kind of thing. But, you know, I'll tell you, he flew up in my estimation today all of a sudden when he decided, OK, I'm not having this, I'm walking away from it. And the players, you know, it just, we can't, it just can't be allowed. No more than can be allowed in the League of Ireland or in the Republic of Ireland or in Northern Ireland or anywhere else like that. We just, we have to draw a line under it because there has to be social consequences for homophobia, for transphobia, for racism, for misogyny. You know, we just, we can't say to people that it's okay to sit in polite company and, and say these things and do these. Things. It just, it just can't. We have to, you know, mark these things and say, no, I don't want to be in the same gang as you. I don't want to be in the same terrace as you. I don't want to be in the same place as you. I don't want to have anything to do with you because this is not who I believe that we should be. And it is sort of self-selecting that, you know, if we act the way I acted that day, you know, I probably scared another few people when I grabbed a man by the collar of that game that day. But I absolutely wanted to send that message, lads, that nobody around here was going to say this. I was only a year or two removed from at my own wedding, Dan, right? These, this Syrian family that I wore for came to my wedding and they didn't know they'd probably, the only Irish person they'd ever hung out with was me. But they went to the bar and they did the thing that they do at their own weddings. If you go to a Syrian wedding, they'll put a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of vodka on the table. And as soon as that's empty, they'll be back with another one and another one and another one until everybody falls out of the kit, right? None of that on Sunday, Dan. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't do that with the because that was the mistake they made they did that with the Irish people and with the Swedes right and the lads didn't care now as it turned out the place we held the wedding in it must be the cheapest place for booze and all of Sweden but they did that because they were such generous decent yeah. people now how can I go to a game six months or a year later and hear these people and you know their reputation being abused and so just I can't have it like you know in the same way that you know I'm sure I heard I used to play football uh, against Kwame Ampadu who's Nathan Ampadu's father or Ethan Ampadu's father you know, Ethan, who played for, I think he played for Sheffield United now, but he was at Chelsea for a while there and he's declared for Wales. His father's from the north inner city and the abuse he used to get, lads, when we played. If you played a lot of Gaelic football, actually, for O'Connell's, and that was mostly where I played against him. And the abuse he used to get, like, I mean, people firing the end word at him in his own fucking team, right? Mm. But back there, you know, I, I, it's not like we didn't know it was wrong, but we never fucking spoke up about it. Like, I remember thinking, yeah. what the fuck is this? Nobody else gets spoken to like this. And it's no surprise to me that his son went and played for Wales. Why the fuck would he play for Ireland after the abuse of his father got before he went to Arsenal as a, as a mm. trainee, you know? So those things, I do think that there has to be a social consequence it, somewhere. For uh, absolutely. And I think this is the thing as well. When people say keep politics out of sport and all that, I completely fucking disagree. I think no, I sport is sport is a great platform to do. It. And like, like I said, it can't be that mealy-mouthed stuff either. And don't get me wrong, like the taking the knee thing to sit and just... just the, the conversations are caused it's worthwhile but at a certain point it runs out of steam because it becomes just oh they're doing that again kind of thing and it's you look at it and uh, you know and not to try and go back to basketball conversation again but you go back to when the teams were in the bubble during the pandemic and whatever and playoffs and the books refusing to play after it was after George Floyd was, was, yep. was murdered the book saying we're not playing right now this isn't right you know more needs to be done kind of thing you know, then you look at 
the look of Formula One, and Sebastian Vettel has a great reputation for being a nice guy and for standing up for causes and all that kind of stuff. But equally, I'm kind of like, yeah, but he's still he's still getting in and racing in Saudi Arabia. He's still getting in and racing in Qatar and all these places that, yeah, it's brilliant that he puts, you know, it's, it's June 1st as we're recording this, it's Pride Month, and it's brilliant to see him in Saudi Arabia you know, putting the pride flag on his helmet and that kind of thing and saying, I'm I'm fucking sticking two fingers up to the regime here in a way. But at the same time, he's a four-time world champion. Mm-hmm. If he just took a stand and said, I'm not racing mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia, it we, would, that, you know. Well, we've seen, I, we've seen uh, like, you know what I was saying there about politics and football and like mm-hmm. people like UEFA and stuff, they will. Like UEFA, I believe in the last 12 months, have fined Dundalk Football Club and Celtic Football Club for having Palestinian flags in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Now, recently, in the last two or three months, a lot of UEFA-affiliated stadiums have now Ukrainian flags mm-hmm. hanging out mm-hmm. in solidarity. So I have a problem with the, the like, where's the consistency there? You know, mm-hmm. will Celtic and Dundalk Football Club get their money back for their fines? Because... The, the the point that they were fined was was that you know keep politics out of football yeah, yeah. Ukrainian flags are everywhere now mm. there's no difference to me and the wider community as to what's happening uh what Israel apartheid state are doing and have been doing for for years in Palestine and the invasion of Ukraine by Russia mm. you know so they can't pick and choose the events you know, and I fully agree what, what the, the books did in America. I fully agree what Steve Kerr did last week at the press conference. He didn't want yeah, to talk about no yeah. That was very moving and that was very sincere. You know, I don't buy this key politics out of football. When something happens in society, if something happened tragically this evening, damn right. If an audience of worldwide people are watching a football match, a Nations mm. League match, a World Cup qualifier, whatever it may be, mm. that's the opportunity to do but it. But ultimately, it, and you see, we're talking just, it's, it's at scale here, isn't it? Because Phil, your example of you turning around and grabbing that fella that said fucking pizza baker or, or whatever it was, you know what I mean? At scale, that's you saying, I will not accept this injustice. I will not accept this. And I'm going to make sure people know. You ramp that up to the level of the Milwaukee Bucks. You ramp that up to the level of Steve Kerr, to the Celtic Football Club, that kind of thing. You need that. You need it to go from the ground up and from the top down. It has to be across the board because mm. without it, these conversations and these injustices, they, they, you know, you, you get a little bit of a kind of like, oh, we fucking leave that alone over there. It's not yeah, for us. See what happens and as well. Home, like. And see what happens as well, though. And, and just to clarify about my comments about the Ukrainian flag, that should have happened. I'm agreeing mm. with that. No, yeah, you're saying you're that fully in support happened. of it, but equally you're saying it's it, it should be perfectly fine for the Palestinian to flag just as high as the Ukrainian flag is being flown. Absolutely. You can't yeah, okay. just pick and choose uh, atrocities. You know, mm. it, it's just it's it, the, it's just the, the, the lack of consistency, with, particularly UEFA on uh, societal issues. What is just in yeah, one of the things that happens as soon as you bring politics into anything, one of the things that happens is there's, you can always find a situation of hypocrisy, right? Where, oh, you allow this, but you don't allow that, you know? So yeah. it becomes quite reductive. And it's it's actually bitterly ironic to see UEFA, you know, changing things around, kicking Russia out of the European Championships, et cetera, et cetera. When Gazprom, you know, which is basically, you know, a, t- a tool of the Russian state that was used to rob the Russian people, went and sponsored the Champions League for 20 years and <laughs> turned football into this, you know, huge behemoth that it has become. 
home, you know. But on another, whereas it's brilliant to see Steve Kerr, who was, you know, Steve Kerr is what I want America to be. Like he is yeah. personifies what I want America to be. LeBron James wearing the I Can't Breathe t-shirt that he had printed up. Uh, what was that man's name? Eric, who was choked to death uh, in for selling cigarettes in New York or whatever by, mm. by cops there. I can't remember the, the poor chap's story now. That, that's who I want America to be. But there's always going to be that, you know, like a moral equivalent. So there's always going to be a difficulty in saying that because the next thing you'll find that somebody who says something that we disagree with is going to do the same thing. You know, yeah. you will get that thing, you know, homo, like you get homophobes saying, oh, you know, we believe that marriage should be between a woman and a man. And then a banner comes out and that kind of thing. So it's an absolute minefield. And the other thing is that Vettel is doing good things. I've, I've talked to a few people now. Um, I'm basically going to the World Cup in Qatar, lads, and I've had a serious wrestle with myself over whether I should do this or not. Some people I know are not going. They don't want to, you know, they, and I don't know yet if I'm going to be able to do the kind of journalism I want to do. Yeah. But before I made the decision whether or not to go, I've been about a year wrestling with this. And I remember speaking to a Sweden international, and she's gay. And I said, I asked, I said, I just want to ask you one question. I said, how do you feel about me going to cover a World Cup in a country that you can't go to? Because that's essentially what it comes down to, right? I have to be accountable to her. I have to be accountable to every gay person I know. I have to be accountable to every Nepalese migrant worker I know. Am I doing you a disservice by going there? Am I, you know, am I polishing the tour that is the Qatar World Cup 2022? Am I letting these people away with something? Or am I shining a light on something that needs to yeah. be done? And I can't, I, there's no guarantees, lads. I could get down there and I've been in places that, you know, it's been impossible to do the work that I want to do. Beijing was just one of them. And I'm not back long I was back from there. say there, yeah. Yeah, well, it ended up being impossible, Graham, because the bubble that they put us in, like we weren't allowed to speak to anybody. We weren't allowed to do anything, you know, because, and COVID was a good thing to hide behind because it's ah sorry lads we can't let you out and about because you know and that wound up from a sort of a hard news point of view that wound up being a huge disappointment to me not being able to talk to people or being able to see things being able to report on things i think it will be better in qatar because it won't be as locked down and i'll do yeah. my best to lose myself you know whitest man in the country as i'll be but i'll do my best to lose myself and to find the people that i need to talk to and there are ways and means of doing that on the ground that will be much easier to do it in beijing but the jury's out, you know. I don't yeah, do you know, do you know the, the point I was making about the Ukraine flags? Yeah. Like, in that situation, I actually saw on Twitter football fans and football fans, you know, when, when uh, what am I trying to articulate? Basically, football fans not having as much empathy for the Ukraine invasion because of UEFA's lack of, act or, like fine and Dundalk and Celtic. Do you get me? They, yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, they're actually UEFA's actions are actually losing support for the actual invasion itself, and well, that's, that's stupid. Thing. That's well, ridiculous. It, that it shouldn't is. happen. It is, and yet you have to. We, we have to judge people by the sum of their 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 actions, right? What Martin Luther King used to call the content of their character, you know, mm. not by the color of their skin. And when you look at international sport or, or, you know, the business of sport has chosen to walk hand in hand right now, as, as luck would have it, the next few Olympics are going to be in places like Paris and they're going to be, the winter games are going to be in Milan and, you know, the world cup is going to be, the European championships are going to be in Germany and that kind of thing. We've come off an absolutely terrible period of sports washing here. The 2014 winter Olympics in Sochi, we've had a world cup in soccer in Russia. We've had a, a winter, another winter Olympics in, in Beijing. We've had, you know, like everything is going, we're going to Qatar now. We've had huge heavyweight boxing matches. Anthony Joshua against um, 
uh, what's his name? Usyk is going to be in, in Jeddah, as far as I know. I heard that today. I don't know if it's confirmed mm-hmm. yet, you know. Uh, but like they've decided to go, and that's Eddie Hearn. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was delighted with Eddie Hearn for everything he was doing for women's boxing, and now he's going to turn the other cheek and go back to Saudi Arabia. So it's that thing of UEFA deserve every single bit of criticism they get because they created the situation why, whereby these countries are allowed to launder their reputations. And they have to be responsible for the fact that football fans don't take this seriously, that there's actually less sympathy for the Ukrainian people and less sympathy for these expressions of sympathy of the, for the Ukrainian people because they have acted the way they did in the past. And yeah. that's why... Again, if we you know circle back to where we started this conversation, it's not the how you do things, it's the why. That's yes. what makes Stephen Kenny such a great leader for the Irish soccer team at the moment. It's what makes Louise Quinn such a great centre-back in the Irish soccer team at the moment. It's what makes Katie Taylor such a great icon for the Irish people at the moment. She does things because they're within her power, because she wants to invest her time and her effort and her skill in what she's doing. And she's been richly rewarded for that, not least in love of the Irish people. But these people are trying to negotiate through this and just trying to get more for the sake of having more. What, that's, what, what sort of a goal is that? What sort of an ambition yeah. is that? What we really need is a sport that's inclusive. We like If I believed for one second, for one second, that the World Cup in Qatar would guarantee a better situation for migrant workers or for gay people or for trans people or for Christians or for whoever else in that country, I would wholeheartedly back it. But I don't and I can't because I've seen it too often before. And the reason I'm going there is not because I want to go there. It's because I... F- fucking don't want to go there but i want to see what can be done and i think that has to be the way i think you know if it comes to politics you can't extract politics from sport and you can't extract sport from politics but we have to be conscious of that and we have to work actively to use it in the right way as you say about the palestinian question Greg, because you can be damn sure that qatar and saudi and russia are doing that there's a great lesson to be learned in that though as well phil in terms of like it is one thing an athlete going and whatever an athlete using their platform through but as a journalist you have a duty, you have a responsibility in many ways. And it's a great lesson that can be learned from, um, what was his name, the Welsh journalist, uh, Gareth Jones, who was the first journalist to report on the Holodomor in, in Ukraine when the Soviet, uh, where Soviet Union was starving the people of Ukraine. And there were journalists who were in Russia and they were saying all these things about how wonderful it is and how brilliant this, you know, Soviet. There was fucking Pulitzer Prizes being handed out to these guys who were reporting from Moscow and everything. And Jones is going to... to fucking Odessa and he's going into South Ukraine he's looking he's saying there's people starving everywhere none of this is being reported and his simple thing was report what you see it's that simple you know report what you see you don't even have to like people listen to me and you know and they hear me speak and people know where I stand on most matters at this stage Mm. especially the lovely listeners of this wonderful podcast right but the fact of the matter is when you separate if you look at anything I write which is straight news there's a difference between an opinion column that I might write which I write very very few of and the straight news that is 90% of what I write and Mm. I challenge anybody to look at what I write about any of these stories I'm going to be interviewing Kurds about Sweden joining NATO tomorrow and what they might be sacrificed down there and I don't think anybody from reading an isolated text will be able to tell where I personally stand on the issue because that's not my job. Nobody gives a fuck about my opinion. My job is to report what they say and what's in the public domain, right? And that's the thing that we often fail to do. That's why I want to go. I don't want, you know, I don't want the, the migrant workers in, you, in Qatar to tell me their stories. 
I want them to tell their stories. Yeah. I don't intend to filter that in any way other than by the principles of journalism that you use to present these things in a fashion that turns them into news, right? What I think of that, what I think of, you know, migrant workers' rights, or what I think of, you know, the situation for gay people there, you know, the risks that they take, you know, the, the, the things that could happen to them if they're found, that's, my opinion is a fucking no interest to anybody, you know? And that's really where our job comes into it. And that's what makes it, you know, and it sounds very fucking highfalutin, but that's what actually makes it a sacred pr profession because, you know, it is the first draft of history. It is as close as we're going to get to the unvarnished truth if it's done right. But if yeah. you go there thinking, and like I say, I don't know what I'm going to find when I get there. I have no preconceived notions whatsoever. There's been so many situations I've arrived in and it's been like Gareth Jones, completely different to what I expected. But the job is to go there. I'd be extremely anti-war, but I if I have to go and cover it, I still have to go. And that's the way I feel about this World Cup, you know? Absolutely, Phil. And then, look, we'll, we'll take a slightly different direction because I'm conscious of time as well and we want to let you go because uh, it, it, it gets dark in Sweden a lot quicker than it gets dark in Ireland. You guys don't get that grand stretch it's the other way around here. It doesn't get dark at all. In the are, you, here. are you serious? Yeah. So, like, it's now, we're now, what are we, the first week of June. So, in three weeks' time, it won't get dark at all. So, like, it doesn't even Jeez, get dark. No way. Oh, it's magic. Yeah. So, in I the thought you was, yeah, yeah, your fucking lines oh, of latitude, longitude, and all. I thought you were the opposite. But yeah. I'll send you a picture. When we're done here, Danny, I'll WhatsApp you a picture uh, from I was out in the country the other night at a quarter past 11 at night and a lovely, deep blue evening sky. And that was a dark, as dark as it got. Jesus. It was fantastic. Um, I want, want to talk to you very quickly. You were in Paris for <laughs> the Champions League. What was your was. experience? Well, but, like it was. Oh God, Almighty! I just I feel so. I, sorry I have for, Champions League fatigue. Uh, I, I, I can imagine you do, Greg. But I'll make this very quick on you, right? So it was one of those things, like, oh, you know, do you want to cover the Champions League? Say, yeah, sure, why not? You know, so I wander down there. So. I, when I saw what happened to the Liverpool supporters, I kind of took to Twitter to say, okay, like I was there, like at the ground in the same situation as many of these people. And I explain what I mean by that. So every time you go to cover a big game, especially the Euros or, or the Champions League, or you apply for accreditation in advance. So there had been a mix up of my application and it hadn't been done. So I went to the accreditation center a little over three hours before the game. And it was chaos, the same thing. Nobody knew why it wouldn't work and why it could be done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I spent three hours waiting outside the accreditation center at one of the corners of the stadium, seeing what was going on with the Real Madrid fans, right? And there were problems at that end of the ground as well, but they weren't as bad as they were in the other side of the stadium. Mm. But what, what then transpired was that I ended up watching the game because and not, not only that, <laughs> one of the guys I was supposed to be working with didn't turn up, right? So there was all they had to do was change the name of the accreditation. Bob's your uncle, Phil's in there, Champions League final, here we go. I ended up watching the game in my hotel room in Montparnasse, uh, just Jesus. south of the Eiffel Tower, after traveling from Stockholm to Brussels and then a train from Brussels to Paris and then stand there for three hours and some jobs were gone. Uh, it's not my fault. And that was the end of that. <laughs> and then I started to get the reports because like, as I was leaving there, right, the Stade de France, I don't know if you've ever been there, lads, but it's actually... It's a horrible place, right? Not the place itself. San Denis is fantastic. Some great restaurants, some great people living around there. But mm. the stadium shouldn't be there. It's just garbage. Trying to get there is just fucking awful, right? So you come out of the tube station and basically you're into this sort of bottleneck straight away, made worse by the police on occasion. And I didn't realize because I went back around just outside the police cordon. And at the time, people were talking about them using tear gas. I can smell tear gas miles off. I've been to those tear gas for the first time in 2012 and several times since. Love it. It always means there's a few bob to be made. It's a good story to be told, right? Couldn't smell it. And I'm getting calls going, could you smell tear gas? I'm going, no, there's nothing like that. They were using pepper spray, but people were calling it tear gas. So I didn't actually see the worst of what was happening to Liverpool supporters. I saw the queues, all right, that were delaying the game. But I went back down into the underground and I went back to the hotel room. 
But after that then, lads, the following morning when I got up and I started to see the injuries that people had and the stories that were being told. And basically, we only barely missed another Hillsborough the other night, right? And mm-hmm. a man told me that he had survived Hillsborough and he was stuck at the front, banged against the fence with a ticket that he got from the club that wouldn't scan. And he passed out. He collapsed on the ground, right? And he thought, that's it. He thought, you know, that's his card marked. He thought he was dead. And the stewards came and they took him inside. And then he got a chance to explain what was happening. And he was pointing to the people behind going, they're all the same. That was where a friend of Andy Robertson, the Liverpool fullback, was standing there with a ticket as well. And I sat with him for an hour and talked about it. And the man was clearly traumatized. So you go back all those years to the 1980s and when the Hillsborough happened, 97 people losing their lives. And all the Liverpool, and to blame those fans the way that the French interior minister has done and the police have done and UEFA have done, is an absolute disgrace. So I just hope that, you know, I mean, I do now expect several Christmas cards and perhaps a selection box from Paul Howard after this particular conversation. But the way they were treated, and unfortunately, that is the first draft of history. It doesn't matter that what the Sun wrote after Hillsborough about people going through the pockets of the dead and pissing on them. It doesn't matter that never happened. This will always be attached to them. There's always... Everton fans and City fans and Arsenal fans who want to attach that to them and go, oh, look at the Liverpool fans jumping over the fence trying to get in. They weren't jumping over the fence to get in without paying, lads. They had tickets. They were jumping over the fence to get in because they didn't want to fucking die crushed against a fence like all those people did 40 years ago, you know? So to see this happening in this way and to see... Rob Harris for the Associated Press did some great stuff. You look at his Twitter timeline. Yeah. Uh, Miguel Delaney has done some very good stuff. The Athletic have done some very good stuff. But unfortunately, it's going to be lost. And now you've, you wait for going to do it. But I just don't know. It's just a disgrace that, that, that this could ever be about the Liverpool supporters and not about the utter failure of the French police and the French authorities and UEFA to actually run a game for 60,000 people properly. Is there, is there anything in the defence? I've heard a couple of people say, kind of like, oh, this is what happens when the game is moved to so short notice due to the final meant to be in was St. Petersburg was meant to be in. And then, yep. so, the, so essentially, they've been caught on the hop and were trying to do the best they could. But as you said, ineptitude and failure are all over this. Like, if you can't stage the game safely, you can't stage the game, right? Yeah. These people are, they're not fans to me. They're customers. They're paying up to 500 euros and they can't mm-hmm. even get into the ground in time for the start of the game, right? I was there three hours before kickoff, lads, and I saw this coming. I saw those two police fans that were parked there. The people were being sort of forced through. They were checking the bags and everything. Now, I have the advantage of being able to wave a press card and I can usually get in at the side, but I could see what was about to happen. It came as no surprise whatsoever to me, right? If you can't arrange the game safely, then don't arrange the game. Find somebody else who can do it. The other huge problem was the lack of communication, right? There's billboards everywhere there's big led screens outside the stadium put up on that look at lads leave some space for the people at the front there's problems with the turnstiles do, do something like that instead of just going and spraying people with pepper spray at the front to try and get back and never fucking talking to them you know you can't if you go to any major championships in england or playing you'll actually see bobbies with the fucking ridiculous hats that british cops wear right you'll see them on the streets because they're there to communicate with the fans they're there to talk to them they're there to explain how how and why things are being policed the way they are right there was none of that on saturday the same thing you know our good friends from madrid and spain maybe might not be the best of the English speakers in this world, right? There was nobody there to communicate with them, you know? So the whole thing fell apart on communication. And then, unfortunately, the Paris police, French police in general, but Paris police in particular, are mad for swinging the old baton the first chance they get, right? It's not the first time I've seen it in France in a football game, and it won't be the last. They take so, no shit. 
them oh, they, 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 they don't, no you know. fucking shit. And like, I wouldn't mind, Dan. There has been situations I've seen Manchester United fans in France, you know, who mm. I'm never going to say that a fella deserves a beating because, you know, when they start fucking, there was fellas misbehaving. I've seen Chelsea fans in Copenhagen, the same thing, right? The Liverpool fans that I saw were giving their seats to female Real Madrid fans on the Metro, right? There was banter, there was crack, there was swapping scarves, there was, ah, oh, you know, I hope for a good game, you know, they made the best yeah, team yeah. win. That's all I saw. I literally didn't see a dig thrown. I did see a lot of people who were around the edges. You often sometimes get this in Crow Park as well. There'd be fellas knocking around the place, maybe trying to dip a pocket, trying to nick an iPhone, that kind of thing. There's a little bit of that. Wasn't Liverpool fans? They were just there, innocent people trying to enjoy their day out. And it, you know, again, it's just like I want to ram home that point that nobody deserves to be put in that position, especially not a club and a city that has been as traumatized by the likes of Hill Heysel uh, and by the likes of Hillsborough. You know, it's just. It's a shame to me because, you know, they really did behave. You know, I'm frankly surprised that there wasn't a riot. If you're standing there after paying four or 500 quid for a Champions League ticket and you hear the days kicking off inside and you can't get in. And many of those people had to turn and go home in the Gare du Nord, the central train station in, France, in Paris the following day. I met any amount of people who said, did you get into the game? No, no. So I actually didn't feel so bad that my accreditation got fucked up and I wound up watching the hotel room because I wasn't the only one that was, you know, but there, UEFA's incompetence did us in. There was hardship as well for those who did get into the stadium because God bless them, they got in and then they sit through Camille Cabello singing three songs and that was fucking terrible. <laughs> I mean, so I, you know, who bought I a ticket know that, who that is. <laughs> oh my God, it was fucking odd. Why are they doing that at sporting events now where they, they insist on making you sit through whatever fucking flavor of the month pop music is put in front of us See, now like i i will give the ballon d'or right the prize that goes to the greatest footballer in europe to a non-footballer the first person who finds the plug for the pa and pulls the <laughs> fucking thing out before any <laughs> any big international game or club match that that goes to them because i just hate it and especially with liverpool fans and real madrid fans when they're singing hala madrid and liverpool fans are singing you'll never walk alone let them at it they create such a brilliant atmosphere exactly I was exactly. at a game in uh, in 2016, France against Romania, the opening game of the 2016 European Championships, and David Guetta was, you know, this DJ lad was there. Mm. The fella stand there twiddling knobs in the middle of the pitch, lads. So I find it very hard to get excited, yeah. you know. And yes, he's giving a fucking loads of this, and all the football fans are standing there. Go, would you ever fuck off? <laughs> so, See, it's yeah, it's I, I don't care. I think, and it's the same like. One of the criticisms I've had of Leinster rugby over the last while, and it can definitely contributes to me not being too much of a hurry to renew a season ticket, is this thing of trying to create an atmosphere where they have piped stuff coming in, they've piped fucking music stuff coming in, expecting the crowd to chant along to that. Or for a while they had these, not a mariachi band, I don't even know how to fucking describe it, but it was like a really shit mariachi band <laughs> at the back of the stand. Playing, it was like, do you know when England go to like a, a fucking World Cup or whatever? Oh, that brass and band. That brass, it was like that, but even fucking worse. And they were playing fucking Molly Malone, and which baffles me. It baffles me that fucking Leinster fans sing. It's the most more depressing fucking song possible. Really? And these fuckers are singing it. And this brass band shithouse mariachi thing is, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I've paid 60 quid to sit in this fucking stadium and listen to this. And to be Plus, treated like a child. It's, it's like, like a it's, children's birthday party. Right? Uh, worse, man. I'd rather at least a children's birthday party. Someone's going to fall over, cry, and I get to laugh at it. Do you know what I mean? I Did you know what Rovers <laughs> used to do when we scored? He put music on when yeah. that scorer scored. And you're kind of like, no, let the fans let, exactly. let the fans react. Let the fans sing that player's song. Let, let the fans sing a song. Don't put music on. The, so the, they, I think I'm pretty sure they stopped that. 
Well, that's the thing. The rumble in the jungle, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman didn't need anybody. You know, they just needed somebody to say, oh, here's the two lads. Now he weighed in. So this way, he weighed in that way. Let's get it on. That was it. Right. Yeah. And this, this, this turning sport into entertainment, I think it does it a disservice. Right. I think it's, I'm all for making much better stadiums in the League of mm-hmm. Ireland and around the world. I'm all for a, a safe fan experience. Right. But I don't like spoon feet. Right. If I go to a baseball, like I love to get into New York. If I have the privilege of working in New York, as I have done on many occasions, I love to get in on a Tuesday and to go up to Yankee Stadium. Don't even like the Yankees. Right. But I go up there and I'll buy the cheapest ticket I can get and I'll sit down there and I'll respect the game. I'll try to get into what, like, who's pitching, who's doing what, who's doing that. I don't know a whole lot about baseball, but I look, I have to move towards the game. I'm not going to sit there with the biggest fucker, with a bucket of nachos the size of my own head, have a snack and fuck off after the seventh innings. You have to respect the sport. It has to be at the sport. It has to be at the gladiators, the warriors at the end of the day. And if you need two unlimited being played in every fucking time out for that, you're at the wrong thing. You should be at a child's birthday party in Leo's Playland or whatever, you know, rather than a sporting event. So we need to sort of, as Rovers hopefully are doing, Graham, supporters and fans need to be taking that back just a little bit. Like the singing section at the Republic of Ireland games is brilliant. That, that whole idea. I just wish the whole stadium was a singing section. Maybe we'll have that in time. And the same thing with Leinster Ruby. Leinster Ruby has like a very strong culture, right? But it doesn't need all this artificial shit. Like, you know, what, what's wrong with silence in the stadium? What's wrong with letting people cheer and shout and sing as they see fit? If you go to, you know, if you go to a game in Italy or if you go to a game in Spain, and the, that's part of the ebb and flow of it. Whereas in the NBA, it drives me bananas. You know, have you seen that woman, Dan? If you stay up late and watch a game, Mero, it's absolutely mm. fantastic. There's a woman who gets up on the tallest unicycle you've ever seen, right? And her gig is that she has about a dozen Tupperware plastic bowls that she puts on her feet and then flicks them up onto her head, smiling as if she's amazed that she managed to pull this off. And she does it for a good six or seven minutes at halftime. And that's her gig. She goes around NBA arenas doing this. And for the life of me, I can't work out why that person exists at all. You know, but the, only, sure the, only time, the only time me and Danny enjoyed it, and it's different than combat sports, but we enjoyed Sinead O'Connor uh, with Connor that time. That, that you know that's a, a that's great, different yeah. because it's an yes. entrance music and it's it's, it's gonna walkout. happen anyway. Yeah. It's a yeah, walkout yeah. music. Tyson Fury last time was just too much. It just took Jesus the walkout. I mean, I oh, swear to God, you know, he walked yeah. from fucking whatever the Emirates to Wembley the amount of time it took him. You know, and then he sat in the throne in the middle of it. There's there's always a thing, you know. Your, your mate in Abba would always say Remember this, the town, uh, the town, Wilder. What's his first name? De- Deontay. Deontay Wilder. Deontay yeah. Wilder. With the big suit. Remember he had the twenty five kilo fucking thing on his neck. And he was and so worn out that he got battered when he got out. He used that as an excuse for why he lost it. Yeah, I tell you, it's a bit, it's a bit the most believable thing because he couldn't box his way out of a paper bag that lad. You know? <laughs> but, but just do it. Like when you think of that thing, like a woman doing three so do one and fuck off. Nobody cares, you know. Yeah, Shakira yeah, yeah. doing that song. I can't remember the the World Cup in South Africa. Come in, do it, and get out. Get you know? the fuck out. It's yeah. like George Murphy, the lovely George Murphy, who used to be on Eurostar and Duddy Corner, uh, Duddy Carney uh, from Duddy Carney. Just come in. Do Raglan Road and off you go, George. Brilliant. You know, that's super. But that's don't it. do this thing. You know, again, we need to get back to you know what, what sport is all about. Sport's all about watching something, somebody doing something we couldn't even imagine ourselves. And yeah. fucking singing three songs before a Champions League. I couldn't imagine that, but that's for a different reason. I, I couldn't give a shite about the, the half time stuff. Whatever. If you want to put something on a half time, put something on a half time. Couldn't give a flying fuck. That's about real that. lens for Ruby Merrow, isn't it? Because he's yeah, at the bar yeah. getting the high nose in, you know? <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you. <laughs> there are now sticks of high nose being bought when I'm at a match, right? Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Off. No, but I just uh, like 
I'll tell you, the Super Bowl halftime thing drives me mad because that's that's a whole other fucking extreme. And it, it becomes more, there's more chat about the halftime show than there is about, and I'm not an American football fan, mm. but at the same time, I couldn't give a shit if Eminem and Dre were there and they brought out fucking, they could bring back Elvis and I wouldn't give a shit. I'm just like, it's you know what I mean? Like, by all means, put on your little show at halftime, but don't make the event about that. Unless, it's, you know, unless it's Bruce. That's a different story altogether. Yeah, and that him. was... That was probably the greatest halftime show in the history of halftime shows, to be fair to him. Remember when we were saying about politics and sport, but there's always a little element of hypocrisy. Danny just provided us with a perfect example. Exactly. There. Don't do anything except the things I like. Thanks. Exactly. Exactly. Listen, if Bruce Springsteen wants to sing before the Champions League, shut the fuck up and let him, right? <laughs> exactly. If yeah. Bruce Springsteen wants to sing when an overplayer score, shut the fuck up and let him, right? <laughs> Phil, what have you got coming up on your, uh, on your pod? God almighty. Um, I, I don't know if I, well, I can't even remember the last time I was talking to you, lads, but I started this Irish and Sweden pod, right? You, yeah, and, you did need. And I, it struck me the other day. I um, I was interviewing two people, right? One was a girl called Miranda Murray Erickson, who's currently in Bally Buffet. Uh, oh, no, sorry, in Bally Shannon for the Rory Gallagher Festival, right? An amazing Swedish folk singer. She's about, I think she's about 26, 27. But she heard Rory Gallagher during the pandemic. Her mother played a bit of her for her. Her mother was a big Rory fan. And she started to translate Rory's music into Swedish, his, his songs into Swedish. And just got in touch with her. And now she's on her way to Bally Shannon. She's going to be up there. She might sing one or two of those tunes up there. And then there was uh, an artist called Laura Fitzgerald who lives, in, she's from Ring, uh, very, very particular about that, lives in Tralee. And she was over here doing an exhibition. And it struck me the other day that this podcast, it might be sort of about the Irish experience in Sweden, but it's actually for the Irish kind of everywhere, right? Mm. So I'm going to do a podcast eventually for the global Irish community because I do think that there's 40 million people around there. It might actually be easier to find a fucking sponsor and might be prepared to pay for it, you know? But, you know, th- this thing of, you know, finding the Yellow Man of Stockholm podcast is not coming out as regularly because it's putting so much work into this Irish and Sweden thing. And it's not like it makes a huge amount of money. But you know the way when you, you're hitting an idea, as you guys did with this award-winning podcast, and not to mention Dan's award-winning TV career as well. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Too humble to mention Acknowledge yourself. me. <laughs> acknowledge me on this the day of Danny's wedding you know (laughs) but to to find something like that that actually works for people there's about three and a half thousand Irish people here lads working on building sites and people teaching and researchers and that so it's a small market but it's it means something to them and therefore it means something to me as well to talk to them every week you know and I found it there's very seldom when you do what we do when you create content when you're a journalist or a writer or a content creator you know, very seldom you sort of do something and all of a sudden you find yourself moving up a level. And I find that this podcast has moved my sort of audio skills up a level. And I started doing fucking local radio in 1994, probably before Meadow was born nearly, you know, <laughs> uh, I was on North Dublin Community Radio there in Cabra, you know. So when you find something like that and it gives you back the joy of doing these things. And again, yeah. I've never done any of these things for money. I don't fucking care about money. I'm lucky enough to have a few bob, you know, from doing what I do. But it's that's not what it's about. It's about this connection. It's about connecting with people like yourselves, people like PT. It's about connecting with the listener. And I really hope that people feel when the three of us are having this conversation, that the person who has their headphones on now is listening to this and that they feel part of it as if they were sitting across the table from us in the pub with a sore throat and just not able to contribute. But, they, you know, they feel that we try to include them. We try to, to give a different perspective or to, you know, to include their perspective in the things that we're saying, because that's what great audio is about. It's what great podcasts are about. It's what great community is about. It's trying to make sure that everybody feels included. And these podcasts are reminding me of that. So that's what I'm going to be sort of concentrating on. I'm going to be off to the women's euros on the third of July. I have, 
another fantastic job. It's unbelievable how many how lucky I get when it comes to these things. I'll be with the Norwegian girls again at the Women's Euros. All oh, the Hegebay, the best forward in the world, is back. Just uh, scored in the Champions League final. She was uh, five years, almost five years out of the national team because she fell out with them. 18 months out with a knee injury. Absolutely brilliant footballer. And I was only talking to two of the players, uh, was it this morning or yesterday morning? And just so looking forward to that because women's football is now on the rise. I've been pontificating about that for, for a long time. So that's yeah. pretty much all of July, you know. So uh, actually, we'll see where it takes us. And then, of course, I'm due another uh, appearance on the What's the Story pod, the award-winning podcast in about September or so. This is it, yeah. That's that's true. Your calendar, yeah. I mean, that's fair enough. I, I, look, won't argue, Phil. Just ask you a question, Phil, before you go, because you're, yeah, I always find you're you're great at these things. Um, in terms, I look, I didn't pay attention uh, to any of the celebrity trials. Um, uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Look, I was in and out. I wasn't. I didn't really care about it. This has um, gone a completely different fucking direction. Okay, I know, right. but I just, I just want. I know it's a serious. It's it is a serious topic, and I just briefly feel. Um, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing, right? I personally, and I'm not a, I'm not an expert in that trial. What I, what I saw of it, I felt that there was a pair of them in it. And mm. um, it's just, it's just breaking news that Johnny Depp has won the case. Do you think? That will do you think the glorification of Johnny Depp throughout that trial will hamper uh women from coming forward in the, in domestic abuse cases? I think every time a woman loses a case like that, it does. Every time a woman speaks up about rape, about sexual abuse, about physical violence, and the police don't do anything, it feeds into the narrative of, you know, why didn't you just tell the police, well, this is what happens when you do, right? Without getting into the specifics of their case, their case had a really weird dynamic because, like, there was fellas on YouTube who were making videos about playing FIFA and all of a sudden they were giving their opinions on the case because the algorithms were created. There was such a huge interest in this case. If you go back to the OJ Simpson trial, it was a similar thing. Why did that murder above every other murder capture the attention? Black man, white woman, a gay man also killed that as well. It just... And again, I don't mean to be to be glib. It just had everything, you know. And this is a case where it had everything that we we like, right? So I remember sitting at the top of uh, at the top of a tower in a hotel in Helsinki, but twenty years ago, arguing with a really good journalist friend of mine. I despise you know gossip magazines and you know mm. showbiz page and all that. Kind of, I just hate it because I just don't see it as being news. And he was saying, yeah, but it's always been there, you know. It's it's always been a part of media, part of journalism. That sort of salacious gossip, and people have made an awful lot of money out of it, right? And this was the perfect poisonous cocktail because it allowed us to sit there and feel superior to two famous millionaires. Because as you say, Graham, there's the narrative that there's a pair of the minutes was one thing, you know, uh, she was, oh, the way I would describe her is an imperfect victim, right? And that unfortunately is what the defense always tries to do. Say if a man is accused of rape, they try to paint the victim as being imperfect. She was asking for it, Your Honor. She was wearing this, Your Honor. She behaved in this way, Your Honor, right? And just because somebody is a dick themselves, doesn't mean that other people are entitled to be a dick to them, right? And I'm, <laughs> I don't know if Johnny Depp, I'm sure he is, he has the good taste to listen to this podcast, you know, but you know, that's why I only say this for his libel lawyers, really. But is like when I read up on people who know things about domestic, domestic violence, right? Amber Heard, to all intents and purposes, acts and behaves and speaks in the way that somebody who has suffered domestic violence or survived domestic abuse acts right that's not to say that she's never done the same thing herself right i've both smacked people in my life and i've been smacked right i'm not a perfect individual none of us are 
But the way that this was done and the way that an awful lot of these things happen and the way that all of a sudden now these things become part of the discourse, you know, like Johnny Depp apparently is up in court again in July for hitting a man, but nobody's heard about that despite the fact that there's this ongoing court case, right? So one of the most important things in media and journalism is when you see something like that, a case like that, and when you see the scale that it attains, is to ask two questions, right? Why this and why now? Why are we so... What is it about this case that we're so engaged in it, down to three fellows who love sport and would never turn on Sky News to watch a minute or entertainment tonight or whatever to watch a minute of this, and yet here we are talking about it. Why? Why is that happening? And why now? What has that got to say? I honestly believe that this feeds into sort of a greater thing. We see what's happening to the trans community at the moment, how people are being targeted, how everything that has to, anything to do with trans, especially trans people in sport, is making the front pages, regardless of what happens, right? Greta Thunberg, the environmental activist, is no longer there, right? There's a big protest in Stockholm tomorrow as we're speaking, and nobody's speaking about that. So why this, why now are always the questions that we have to ask. And the hard part of it is that this trial uh, or this, you know, Johnny Depp suing Amber Heard in this way, it requires us to dig into the detail. It requires, there are no black and white answers. There is no one person is right and the other person is wrong. And most of us aren't prepared to do that. We like a binary. We like to sit down and watch a movie and know that the good guy or the good girl wins at the end. And that doesn't offer us this. And what it leads us to do then is to walk away saying, oh, well, should we all at it? Right? That's always the easiest thing to do. Football fans, Liverpool fans, I should are always like that. All football fans are like that. They don't deserve to be treated with dignity. And the moment you start to do that, the moment you start to decouple your intellectual capacity from what it is actually happening in the world, you're taking a stance. You're saying, I no longer care that certain things can be allowed to happen. And as Danny rightly points out, it says a very powerful signal that it's okay. You can get away with this. And that's why we can never allow ourselves to become desensitized to transphobia, to racism, to homophobia. We can't become desensitized to the homeless community in Ireland, to the traveling community in Ireland. And we are. Because we step over those people every day, lads. We step over people on the way to work. We, we, the fact that there's 10,000 people homeless in Ireland, maybe more than 3,000 in children, we just accept that now because we become desensitized to it. So every day we have to remind ourselves that no, nobody deserves this. Nobody in Amber Heard's situation deserves to be struck by a man. End of story, right? Nobody deserves to be homeless. No traveling person deserves to be skipped over their CV just because they don't live in a house in the way that the three of us do, right? And that's what... That's what this is saying to me. It's not the specifics of the case or that Johnny Depp is right and, oh, you know, she's an idiot and that kind of thing. It's not saying that to me at all. It's saying to me that we need to look at things in even greater detail, not try to simplify, not look for the good guy or the bad guy or the bad girl. It needs... It needs us to look at it and go, how can we make this better for everybody? It doesn't matter who's in the wrong and who's in the right. It doesn't matter what's in the past, but how can we move this forward for everybody? To me, it doesn't serve a great purpose. You know, what's another few million to a millionaire? What's destroying a woman's reputation publicly? Can we not be the adults in the room? And that requires us as well to put a past, put away some of the bitterness that we have towards UEFA about the Palestinian flag, towards Fine Gael and Fine Fall for destroying the health service, for destroying the country. It requires us to park those things and say, look, maybe there can't be justice for everybody. Maybe we have to let certain things slide, you know, bloody Sunday, whatever. Maybe we can't get those people in the dock before they all die. But the question is, 
where do we go from here? When we've asked ourselves, why this, why now? The next question is, where do we go from here? And these are pivotal times in a situation where Russia has invaded Ukraine, in a situation where Sweden and Finland are joining NATO, in a situation where trans people's rights, their right to exist is being threatened. We need to ask ourselves, where do we go from here? What kind of an Ireland do we want? Do we want Stephen Kenny's multicultural Ireland where everybody gets a chance and everybody takes responsibility? Or do we just want to hoof the ball up in the stands and not think about it? And they are the things that we have to think about, you know, it, 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 both in the near future, but also in the medium to long term. Lovely. What a fucking way to finish. What a way to finish. Phil, where are you on social media? Where can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me at Philip O'Connor is on Twitter. You can follow the at Irish in Sweden pod on Instagram. You can follow at Philip Ablana on uh, Instagram as well. I had TikTok and I've made sort of um, one post recently. And that's about it. So uh, don't bother follow me there. Uh, it was on the Johnny Depp Amber Hair trial, was it? <laughs> uh, actually, it wasn't. It was probably on Liverpool fans or something. I can't even remember. Really? So, Dan, if you want, I have a software program that can take those last five minutes and that could be our best man's speech. So it's no charge. <laughs> Amazing. That, that'd be perfect. That would absolutely be perfect. Danny, Danny, Danny. I, I, just, I just want to close by saying, Daniel, like, I've known you for a few years now. I, I still remember the first time you sent me an email and you offered me the opportunity to come in this podcast. And you were a little bit surprised I answered so fast and said yes. And you know what? It was one of the best things I ever did because I loved the two of you. And I really I do, want man. to wish yourself and Oksana and you, Graham, with the basketball team, every success in what coming in the near future and the medium term and the long term as well because I know that you guys want to do what's best for us all Thanks, trying sir. to man and thank you and it like, it's, it's always a pleasure having you on this podcast it's always great to hear what you're up to as well you uh, yeah you, you, you get to live out certain things that you know just sound like yeah that sounds like great fun uh, you know it, you get it's, to, an, it's an easy night for me and Danny when we have you on and that is also very true um, the, the, the next invite on Zoom that I get, it's going to be just me. There'll be nobody else here. It's like, Phil, you know the drill, mate. Yeah. Click record. Yeah. Meryl will be off in a tournament somewhere. Danny will do an intro and then just fuck off. Yeah. Like that. That, that. He'll be off in his honeymoon, come back two weeks yeah. later. And be fucking the, still the, nec- the next step is no Zoom links. The next step is if, if you're on these the shores or anything like that, there's, a, there's four microphones and Pizzi Carroll and a fucking a, a meeting of minds to come together at some point. I think the world is ready for that now. If it's ready yeah. enough for Danny Murray being mature enough to get married, it's ready for me and PT in the one room going at it. Absolutely. This is it. This is it. Yeah. Danny, um, um, Danny is at Danjo Murray on Twitter and Instagram. I'm American Mania on Twitter and Instagram. He's reading this off the screen. I can't believe after two hours. <laughs> I am yeah, I can see you doing it. I, I wish I was. Um, I'm trying to look at the Ukraine-Scotland match in the background. Ukraine are winning 2-0. Anyway, um, Big month for me and Danny ahead. You can follow all our uh, our lives on social media with Danny getting hitched and, and me going over with Ireland. Uh, and, and that's it. Danny, yeah. anything else to say? Uh, just that the basketball will be live on YouTube, my wedding mode. So, uh... <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. You uh... can follow us at WTS Pod. You can search WTS Pod on any podcast provider and um, Podcast Republic, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Pod being where it's like the fucking song that this looks the song that never ends. Spotify, anywhere. I'm trying to be a Phil O'Connor monologue. Anywhere and everywhere you can get a podcast, you'll get us. WPS Pod. If this was the Oscars, the music would be hitting, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we will be back in sometime in July. Until next time, Danny. Cheers, Full arts and blues.